You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Ah, got him. That should keep the first order off our backs. Nice work, Paul. Tim, are we set to make the jump? Yep. The end of the prime and coordinates for the rendezvous are set. All right. Strap in and let's get this intel delivered to the resistance. Punch it! You're listening to Star Wars. The saga continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery, Tim Jirasi, and Paul Herman, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Hey there, Star Wars fans, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all the latest news, rumors, and updates on Obi-Wan Kenobi and all the other crazy, exciting new projects coming up in the Star Wars universe. Uh, we'll get to those soon enough, but uh, for today, we're just talking about the uh, the first three episodes of the Obi-Wan series. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tim and Paul. How's it going, guys? What's up, guys? Good to finally have the full band back together for an episode. <laughs> the last couple it's been kind of revolving door <laughs> between the three of us. But for an episode as big as this one, talking about the first three episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi, it had to be with all three of us. So I cannot wait to get into it with both of you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah this was, uh, it was I was bummed out because me and Kyle couldn't argue about things from uh, the last episode, we were, you know, <laughs> which we discussed him. But the good news is, is that uh, we've got something I think that is uh, really special. Uh, we're going to talk about, and I got to tell you personally, I, I you know I've I've talked to thing on with you guys personally and outside of the podcast, and I think on the show a little bit. Just like I'm waiting, I'm kind of waiting for kind of Star Wars kind of kick back into high gear for me. You know, I mean, I always will love Star Wars, but even the Book of Boba Fett, it just felt like. Not treading water, not necessarily that at all. Because I like I like the book of Boba Fett a lot. In fact, in fact, it feels like I like it a lot more than most people. It seems like at this point. Um, but it's really awesome because I knew this was going to be the year that Star Wars really ramped back up, and it's I knew it was going to start with Obi Wan Kenobi. And you know, I've been wanting a reason to kind of rewatch Star Wars. I'll get more to that. You know, besides the series here, I think eventually in this, um, in this episode, but. I got to tell you, this these three episodes, everyone, has really kicked me into a high gear of Star Wars that I haven't felt since probably 2020 when uh, we had the Clone Wars um, series, you know, season the last the final season of Clone Wars or quote unquote final season, I'll say uh, of Clone Wars. But uh, when my daughter you know, was born and everything. So like which I, that was the last time I was high peak, like just, you know, soaring sky high. Um, you know, everything, but I feel like I'm getting back to that level again, which is really exciting because I was super hyped then and I'm getting mega hyped now with these three episodes. So I'm, I am so excited to go, to go mega deep in these, uh, these episodes today. Yeah. I mean, heck, if the premiere of this series doesn't get you hyped for Star Wars, all the announcements from Celebration will. 
And that was a crazy weekend. Um, and like, we obviously don't have time to do like all the celebration stuff and the Obi-Wan review in one episode or we'd be here for six hours, which we've done before, but we're not going to do this time. No, um, not today. Maybe another, another time. But That'll soon enough like within, next... you know, we'll, yeah. we'll try to get back on here within like a week or so. And uh, man, I can't wait to break down all those celebration trailers and stuff. Uh, oh, we did just yeah. put out our, we, we did just put out our, our little bonus episode where I've got my panels on there with uh, Jason and Joey that we recorded here at Phoenix Fan Fusion. And we talk about those a little bit. Um, but yeah, you know, we're, we're restrained to an hour on those panels and I need to talk about you know, Mando season three and Ahsoka and Bad Batch and all that kind of stuff with you guys for a good three hours on here. If not more. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, we may Dude, have to Andor restrain trailer. ourselves, but we'll see. I know. The Andor trailer alone, like, I feel like could be a two-hour podcast. Yeah, there's tons to dive Probably. into. Probably, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yet, oh, gosh, now no, I'm... I'm not even going to go into what I'm most excited about and stuff that got me hyped from Celebration and everything. Um, yeah, that could easily be like a four or five hour podcast just because they talked about so much. I think, you know, I, I counted it up and there's like seven major projects that they talked about and like six of them they showed footage or trailers from. Um, so, yeah, it's crazy. And like you said, you know, we thought this year was going to be like peak Star Wars, but I think next year is going to be just as big, if not bigger. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll get to all that soon enough because of that. We don't really have any like news or anything to start this episode out with. So we're going to just jump right into, uh, the, uh, the Obi-Wan review. Um, and we'll kind of just like, we're, we're talking about the first three episodes, uh, of the show that have aired so far, you know, obviously we're going to be, there's going to be six total. So we're at the halfway point and, uh, it's Sunday night right now as we're recording this and I'll try to get this episode out. Uh, probably by like Tuesday so that you guys can listen to it before the new one comes out on Wednesday. Um, but yeah, we're just going to go through each episode so far, kind of in chronological order, not necessarily talk about every single thing that happens um, along the story, but just kind of hit on the the major like themes and character uh, plot points and performances and all that kind of stuff, but kind of just talk about them like in order as we go through the episode. Um, so obviously we start out with the first episode and it uh, starts with two big, cool surprises that I don't think we were expecting. First of all, we get the, this really nice kind of montage of the, uh, like, you know, a recap of the entire prequel trilogy um, and really just kind of recapping the story of Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi and kind of their journey together and, you know, Anakin's ascension to knighthood and his fall and becoming Darth Vader and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's a, you know, just really well edited, really, you know, emotional kind of... Um, you know, thing to get you right back in the mood and excited to get back in with these characters again. And it ends with, uh, you know, the the line from the end of episode three where Yoda talks about um, how Qui-Gon has, you know, found a way to manifest himself through the Force after death and saying that he's going to teach Obi-Wan. Um, or, you know, he's like, training I have for you. And, and Obi-Wan goes, Master Qui-Gon. Um, and then it, like, fades to black. And I was like, oh, shoot, is this where we're starting with the series? Like, I figured we were going to see this, but are we, is the show going to start right off with, uh, you know, Obi-Wan trying to commune with Qui-Gon? But no, we start on Coruscant with some Jedi younglings training. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like, you know, we're taking it back to a flashback or whatever. And I, I wonder how this is going to go. And before you really even have time to realize what's going on, clone troopers burst in the room, start shooting down Jedi. And you realize, oh, we're getting thrown right into the middle of Order 66 again. Um, and this was just a, 
really cool, really well done sequence. I think it was all one shot too. I, I was watching it earlier. Uh, I rewatched all three of these episodes earlier today. And uh, I'm pretty sure this opening shot was like all one long continuous shot as you're following these younglings through the temple as they're like evading the clone troopers and they've got, you know, their uh, their instructor with them that protects them and kills a few clones and then she ends up getting shot and then uh, the younglings, you know, make their escape and get away. Um, I don't know if you guys thought this. I mean, I'm sure I think we've talked about this by this point. Um, but I, I'm pretty sure the, the whole purpose of starting out here is that Reva is one of those younglings. Like it still hasn't been confirmed yet. Um, but I'm pretty sure that she's in that group, um, that, that she's one of those kids. And I think we may even come back to this scene or see more flashbacks with Reva kind of connecting that to the present. Um, because aside from just, you know, making us relive the trauma of Order 66 again, um, that seemed like kind of a... It's kind of a, a random thing to start out with, like if it's not going to have a direct connection to the rest of the story. I mean, we know the Jedi got, you know, gunned down. I think we even saw that in the montage that, you know, we saw some of the stuff from Order 66. And so um, to then have like a full played out scene of it, I think there's got to be a bigger purpose to it than just, oh, let's remind you how all the Jedi died because um, we just saw that in the recap. So I think... Yeah, I, I, I'm, I think Reva was in there. I think we're going to see more of that and find out maybe how that informs more of her backstory and maybe that she's got more of a connection to Obi-Wan than we know of or something like that. But um, just a really cool and really surprising way to uh, to kick off, you know, this first episode with uh, with that montage and then just that shocking Order 66 scene. Yeah, that opening, it blew me away both by being super surprised that that's how the series is going to start with and just how well done it was. Because like you said, just showing Jedi Padawan's training on Coruscant, uh, obviously you were, I just figured, oh, we're going to see some time in the past with Obi-Wan at the Jedi Temple, maybe as, even as him as a youngling. Or he was, when the doors opened for a second, I thought, oh, maybe Obi-Wan's going to come through there. But once those clone troopers burst, and I was like, oh, wow, we're actually seeing more of the attack on the Jedi Temple. like, I can't believe it. Like you said, it was just executed, pun intended, <laughs> so well with that one shot take of just following the Padawans and their Jedi Master trying to escape. And man, I mean, even after seeing Revenge of the Sith for the first time and just getting the quickest of teases of the attack on the Jedi Temple and just thinking, man, it'd be crazy to see more of the Anakin and the clones attacking the Jedi Temple. And um, it kind of sounds like Otherwise, it's not like we're, I'm morbid to say, oh, I really want to see more Jedi die. But just knowing what importance this moment is in the saga, I just always thought it'd be great to see more of it. And the fact that we are now, I mean, first we got a little more in the Book of Boba Fett with the Grogu flashback. And now just seeing it more clearly and directly, it was it was just a trip to see. And I just loved it. But again, just going back to how great it was, it really showed just the horror and what that would have been for the Jedi and especially the younglings to see firsthand. I mean, just the clone troopers bursting in, not even saying they just immediately open fire. And just once you go into that main hall, just seeing how widespread the attack is going and just even the small touch of hearing the audio of Palpatine saying execute order 66 kind of on repeat over and over as that scene ends. It was just, again, a great way just to really dive into the horror of what that moment was for the Jedi and the youngs to experience there. So it was something I would never thought 
would kick off the Obi-Wan Kenobi TV series. But man, it was such a great way to kick it off, especially kind of continuing off and piggybacking off the recap we had of the prequel trilogy and just how it ended very dark and in a tragic way. And just is kind of really picks up on that and just really driving home the status of where Obi-Wan is going to be at the start of this series. All that just plays into it and understanding why he's in the place that he's in um, at the beginning of the series because of just how bad things got at the end of Revenge of the Sith and as the end of the Clone Wars happened with that. So it was just great. <laughs> I mean, again, I'm going to be showing my love for the clones throughout <laughs> this series, <laughs> which uh, I was hoping we get some, but we got some right away in these first two episodes of just seeing live action clone troopers yeah. again was just amazing and i was wondering too if those clone troopers were cg if, or for actually seeing clone costumes for the first time in live action star wars because um, i wasn't sure on that for the grogu flashback sequence but i did see there was i can't remember where who posted on twitter but there was a behind the scenes shot of some of the stunt performers of the jedi and the clone troopers filming those filming that sequence and you saw like the stunt people in the clone trooper armor so it was actually clone trooper armor being worn not just all cg <laughs> which is kind of cool but yeah i just loved everything about that sequence and just an unexpected way to kick off the series but i think a really great way to start the the journey we're going to go on for obi-wan kenobi yeah I, I feel like this was completely out of left field for me because i wasn't expecting to go hard right away and to be honest i that's one thing about the series. I'm just going to say flat right now. I think that it's worth saying and talking about a little bit is that how this series immediately shows you that this is this is going to sound really stupid, but it's honestly the best way to describe it. This is like an R-rated version for kids. Now, when I say that, meaning like this is like for young children, an R-rated thing. Because, and I say that because it's, you're, you're, these are violent things. These are dark themes we've gotten. Mm -hmm. I mean, kids are, are being attacked, being blasted at, and their master dies in front of them. Later on, a lady gets his, her hand chopped off. And, you know, and then we got all this, you know, Obi-Wan gets thrown over a fire. I mean. Yeah, well, and another guy gets, like, strung up and hung to death. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I this is, like, as far hardcore R rating as it is for young children to watch. And, you know, so it's like, so for them, it's like watching an R rated movie. And, and I, and I say all that, you're like, why keep you emphasizing R rated, you know, this emphasis, bear with me because one of the things I love about star Wars, and I think that's what's really important about star Wars. I think that they do, it's like, it's like they're, it's like a family's way of, you know, a gateway for families to all kind of come together and watch something that's kind of heavy without being extremely dark to an extent to where it's going to traumatize a child. Because again, fairy tales are morality tales, right? And I feel that, you, you know, Star Wars is a modern day fairy tale. Everyone knows, and everyone, everyone who listens to the show knows that I, I'm a big Marvel guy. Marvel's a lot different because it's a little more relatable. Right. And so if you do darker elements that can, I think, honestly, affect people more, be, you know, children more because it's a little more realistic in a sense to where, like, you can identify more with them because they're like just regular people. Right. Star Wars is not that way. And I feel it, it has a lot more leeway with families. And I think and I think that that's why it's such a transcendent thing for families to, to experience together is because 
it is that morality fairy tale that you can kind of like families don't mind their kids watching uh, a little more, a little more violent things going on because there's a lot more stronger stories that are being told there. And it's the way it's presented, it doesn't, it's not realistic. Does that make any sense? So I feel like one of the things that Star Wars has always done a great job of is presenting that to families. And that, that, that way, everyone in the family can watch together. I've always said, you know, it's a family, uh, Star Wars is a family thing. And it's not a young kid thing. It's not an adult thing. It is a family thing. And when you do that, you can transcend and be a little bit darker and do a little more different things without going all the way to the end where it's like all it is is chopping people's heads and arms off and going all the way to the other spectrum where it's like, you know, for, forgive me for people who love the show, but Star Wars Resistance, where it's totally aimed at young children. You you straddle that middle ground that I feel immediately right off the, right off the bat with the scene, which I feel, I feel is important. And you establish the families like, oh, like, if you don't want your kids watching this, you better stop right now. And they, they do have a disclaimer. There are some heavy scenes that maybe not be suitable for all, you know, for all ages, yeah. maybe. And I think, well, and they added that disclaimer specifically because unfortunately this show came out like a couple episodes right after there was right. that mass shooting. Um, right, right. And they, you know, they realized like, oh, this might be triggering for people seeing like clones shooting up essentially a school, you know, right after that happens. So, right. But I, but I, but I think that, but one of the things I think is important is that they establish that, but it, I think that's why I think families can gather around and watch this. And, and Star Wars has that staying power when you have the right people writing it and, and directing it and starring in it, you have these powerful things and it can be pretty, can, Oh my, Oh my God, I can't, I can't believe they're doing that. And you get away with it. And I say get away with it because families can, 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 you know, let their you know loved ones and, and their children watch this because there are, you know, it shows that things aren't always hunky dory. And I think that, but you don't do it in a super dark way where it's like traumatizing, but it makes them deal with things. There are consequences and things like that and bad things do happen. And it's, again, these are, I, to, in my, again, as a father myself, I can tell you right now, I think that's good. I, I think it's good, you know, to kind of bring these things, you know, present them gently. And this is what it is, gently. And I think that's why it's so rad that people in all ages can watch Star Wars together because of that reason when it's done well now star wars is all you know people since george haven't always executed that well in my opinion but in as far as that idea but immediately right off the bat obi-wan kenobi series tells you and i think throughout the whole series does a great job of that and i'll and last thing i'll say on this is you, you brought up grogu tim uh that hallway is the same the same hallway that grogu is in that he's that he's visually seen that, that they will so? they Oh yeah, one thousand percent. When they run out, it's the same hallway. One thousand percent. I don't think so. Just because I mean, there's obviously going to be look several. It up. Obviously, there's going to be several different hallways in the Jedi Temple that all look similar. And if it's but, the same one, then why wasn't Grogu there? Well, different time, homie. I mean, like, but I, and also, like, when I when I say no, this hold on, is all happening around the same time. Well, but yeah but like whatever my point is this it's like the same it's the same hallway it could be a different hallway but it's the same exact like set that's oh yeah sure. i could definitely see that but as far as yeah. being the exact same oh, okay okay that's that's what i meant to say that's what i meant to say it's the same it's also the same set okay well, yeah is it the that, same exact hallway but it's the same exact set 1000 percent. that makes more sense so um, i'm good yeah but then so i mean we go from there to then flash forward 10 years later um 
And again, I, I don't know if they also did that just kind of as a way to establish the the time period that the show was set in, like, you know, rather than just start off on Tatooine and have it say like uh, 9 BBY or something like that, or <laughs> 10 years post Revenge of the Sith. You know, you start with something that happens during Revenge of the Sith and then say 10 years later, and that kind of gives the audience a good touchstone for where the, you know, the main thrust of the show takes place. Um but again, I still think there's got to be a, a more specific reason why they put that Order 66 scene in there. And I think that that connection is going to be Reva, especially since the next oh, yeah. scene flashing forward to the present day is now the introduction of the Inquisitors, um, which I also was not necessarily expecting to start off right off the bat with them. And they show up on Tatooine. They're looking for a Jedi who we realize is not Obi-Wan. And there's another Jedi there on Tatooine. Um, okay. Can I, can I just but, say something really, really quick about the, the Inquisitor scene? I, I I had to get this off my chest, and and, I, and I'll shut up for a while after that. I promise. But I'm I'm curious what you guys think because I've said to you guys privately, I have loved this series minus some nitpicks, and I've watched I've rewatched this stuff like a lot, a lot. And one of the things that just it's just, there's something about this introduction of the Inquisitors that I think it's not terrible, but it's a little clunky for me. And I'm curious if you guys feel this or kind of have get the same general idea, but like, I, it's not terrible, but it's just the way it's like so exposition heavy. It's like, you know who we are. You're, you're inquisitors. Yes. You know what we do. You hunt Jedi. It's like, oh my God, it's like so obvious. You know, it's just, it yeah. feels I mean, a little... I know what it's trying to do, but not the hold on. I'll, I'll let you guys throw it to you guys really quick. I that I can kind of get over, but the but the setting of when they come, I feel it should have been it would have been more it would have been better if they would have done a darker, a little bit darker at maybe at dusk. If maybe that would have been too hard, I don't know. But it just feels like the brightness of everything, it just is kind of jarring to me a little bit. It's like again, this is setting everything, it just feels I wish it was a little bit darker, if that makes any sense. And I not say darker of like, like tone, but like darker of like the setting, like a little bit. Yeah. It's so bright. I'm like, ah, it's just, I don't know. I, it's just all that together. It did. It kind of jars me after having that amazing introduction, and then all of a sudden you're like, just really bright. It's just, I don't know. I'm curious. This is this is one of the clunkiest part, of, one of the clunkier parts of the series and episode. I'm curious if you guys feel the same way. I still like it. It's just a little clunky for me. I will agree that it's a little clunky only because it's a weird place to start the story. It's exactly. almost like they weren't, it's like they knew what they wanted to start off with, but they were like not sure where to start and then where to, it, like at what point to introduce the Inquisitors. And again, that's why I'm like, you know, I, I guarantee you like that's Reva in the flashback and then it's supposed to kind of connect to the present day and now we're seeing Reva as an Inquisitor and that's supposed to kind of be the through line. Um, because you could just start with Obi-Wan. Like, that's kind of what we were all expecting is you just see him doing his thing in the desert. But I think they wanted to start with a little bit of, you know, tension and drama and introducing the bad guys right off the bat. And of course, again, the whole, you know, it's like poetry. It rhymes. It's like we've seen this in Star Wars before, right? With like Force Awakens starts off immediately with the the First Order and Kylo Ren coming and raiding the village on Jakku. Uh, a New Hope starts with the Empire, you know, invader taking over the, the Tantive Four. Um... And so I think they were kind of trying to mimic that where it's like, okay, right off the bat, we're introducing the bad guys, we're setting up the threat, you know, but it was like, without kind of giving us context of why they were there, 
And obviously we get that context within the scene. And like you said, it is kind of exposition heavy, but it was just like, it was like, oh, this is an interesting thing to start with. And then, yeah, it was like, like you said, they, they walk in and um, he starts giving him all that exposition right away, which I didn't mind so much because obviously, you know, it's just a quick couple lines to introduce Inquisitors to the audience that hasn't watched Rebels and played Jedi Fallen Order oh, of course, and, and of all course. this kind of stuff. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, it wasn't a big, it wasn't a big, detractor for the episode for me especially because you know i think things just get better from here and you have to start somewhere um so could they have started it off better yeah sure but then you know it's just like i, I think they once it gets going and uh do, you know where it ends up do, and everything i think is fine it's just kind of a, a, video, a little bit of an awkward yeah. place to start it as a video person yourself kyle did you think the lighting when they first get off the ship was kind of weird it it's it's so odd to me when they come they walk out it's just like it, i don't know is that am i just over focusing on this i see what you're saying it's just i mean it makes sense because it's tatooine right and it's such right you know harsh desert light um i mean we'll get to get into this a little bit more throughout the episodes there were some sort of stylistic choices with like the cinematography oh, yes. and the editing and things that were just like I don't know if it either wasn't my cup of tea or like I would criticize it or if it was just something that we're not used to seeing in Star Wars. And so it was like, this looks like this would look good in a different movie or show or something. But just for Star Wars, it feels kind of off to me. Um, but I will say, like, after watching these episodes again today, and I think it was the third time that I had watched all of them, um, those things bothered me a little bit less. So maybe it's just something that is going to take more getting yes. used to over time. Agree. Um, I same for me as well. Same yeah. For me. So, so it, it wasn't yeah. like that, like that. And I, I think I know what shot you're talking about. Like it does look very kind of like bright and washed out. Like just seeing the Inquisitors yes. walk through the, through the streets. But again, like obviously that was intentional. It's not like, oh, whoops, we had the brightness up too high on the camera. Like they're trying <laughs> to, con they're, they're trying to convey this very bright, harsh desert environment. Right. It's right, just whether right. or not you like the way they did that is kind of a matter of personal taste, I guess. Sure, sure, sure. But it's maybe it is maybe a little bit more extreme on the stylistic side as opposed to like how George would have shot Tatooine. That fair, fair. Yeah, I was kind of surprised too, where it's taken us this long to be introduced to Obi Wan again in the series, with starting off with that flashback, and then before Obi Wan, we're seeing the Inquisitors. But um, and obviously, like you said, I think the purpose of it was to give that explanation of who they are for everyone who's watching the series that hasn't seen star Wars rebels or read any of the Darth Vader comics where the inquisitors are featured so heavily. And pretty much that was the purpose of it. And to be honest for, for me, this was one of those moments where, again, I don't think it was a bad sequence at all, but it was still a little bit for me getting used to seeing the designs of, you know, the grand inquisitor and especially the fifth brother kind of, accepting that those are the same characters we've seen in Rebels, mainly the fifth brother for me, even though he doesn't have a lot of dialogue in this sequence right here, but just kind of, they just felt like separate Inquisitors and characters to me at this point, where um, even though we know they're the same characters we saw in animation, the Grand Inquisitor a little bit, but it's just one of those things where I think the more you see it in the live action, the more you kind of get used to this version of these characters that we're seeing. But as far as that sequence goes, um, my dad who watched and made a comment as far as what that sequence reminded him of, and I couldn't help but agree. It makes me chuckle where, um, he was saying that the way they try to bring out the Jedi was reminiscent of that moment in who framed Roger Rabbit, where judge doom 
is in that bar. Yes. Eddie mm-hmm. Valiant and oh. Roger hiding away. And he goes, no tune can resist the tune of uh, shaving a haircut, just like no He's Jedi can resist. Absolutely right. <laughs> Help me though. Like, Holy you know what? Boy. That is pretty accurate. <laughs> it was pretty similar, but just done in the Star Wars way. <laughs> but So that's what I think of now when I see that sequence. Because it was just, like I said, that heavy exposition that the Inquisitor was given, leading to that moment where we get the reveal of the Jedi just couldn't help himself to protect someone. But yeah, just a different way, I guess, to kick off the episode, um, I guess, officially after that prologue with uh, Order 66 flashback and just kind of get introduced to the Inquisitors first instead of Obi-Wan was um, a little bit of a surprise. But at at the same time, I kind of get why they did that, just to kind of get their history and their position and what they're after out of the way before we really get going uh, with Obi-Wan and his story as far as what we're going to see him go through in the rest of the episode. Yeah, um, but I will say, like, I liked, I, I actually really liked kind of just the the introduction of the Inquisitors here and seeing, like, already kind of differentiating their personalities and how they go about, you know, the, the same mission that they all have, which is to hunt Jedi. Um, but you see the Grand Inquisitor going on this, you know, he's he's toying with him. He's giving this guy the whole spiel about, like, oh, you know, in our line of work, we hear a lot of rumors. And I heard a rumor that there was a Jedi here and he helped you out and now you're hiding him. But, you know, word got around town and whatever. And, you know, he's trying to, like, slowly kind of toy with him and, and build the tension and mess with his mind. And Reva just kind of gets tired of it, picks up a knife and throws it at the guy and then sees the Jedi sitting in a corner, you know, holding his hand up to use the force to stop the knife. And she's like, there, it's that guy. So she takes, you know, the direct brazen approach. Uh, The Grand Inquisitor is more the manipulative. I'm going to I'm going to toy with you and, and, you know, kind of, um, you know, eventually work my way around to getting what I want. And then even later we see uh, with the fifth brother, he's more, um, I don't know, a little more like willing to cooperate and work with people. You know, he offers him a bounty. He's like, hey, if yeah. anybody, you know, has any information on this Jedi, you'll be rewarded. And he stops Reva from like outright killing people to try to get it. So, um, you know, I, I like seeing that they all have their different approaches to getting information, to tracking down leads, to trying to hunt these Jedi. But also as far as the designs and like the performances and stuff and just the the translation of those characters, um, from, you know, animation to live action. I actually liked it more than I thought I would, given, like, what we saw in the trailers. Especially, like, with the designs of the Grand Inquisitor and the Fifth Brother. Um, Yeah, I I liked them a lot more, actually, watching the show than I thought I would just from watching the trailer. Um, The Grand Inquisitor, I think, like, yeah, the head could be, you know, taller and more slender. I think they did get the eyes right. And that was one thing where I don't know if, like, the, the initial shots that we saw in the trailer... Because uh, he's supposed to have like the yellow Sith eyes, right? And in the trailer, like when we first saw him in the trailer, he just kind of had like these dark brown little beady eyes. And it was like, that doesn't look very menacing. Um, and I don't may, know. May, if... I, may I comment on this? Because I think. Well, well hang on. Let, me, let me just say, like, I, I don't think like I don't know if in the trailer they, they just picked bad shots where you couldn't see it very well or if those shots weren't finished yet or if they saw all the backlash and were like, oh, shoot, we need to go touch those up real quick. But when I saw him in the episode, I was like, oh, okay, that looks more like the Grand Inquisitor than I was expecting. I mean, aside from, you know, the slightly different head shape, which even that I've already, like, gotten used to by now. But, like, he's got the eyes, he's got the, you know, the look and the presence and everything down. So, um, yeah, I think I think they did a pretty good job with it. All right, so here, I, I wanted to actually talk about that a little bit because a couple things. The Inquisitor's 
I thought, like you said it best, Kyle. Like you liked him way. I liked him, you know, way more than I was anticipating. I, I thought uh, they'd be fine. I actually ended up liking them a lot more. Um, I liked Grand Inquisitor. He, I thought his performance was perfect, to be honest. Um, I, again, you can't get one for one translation from 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 comic book to screen, from animation to screen. It's, it's gonna be there's gonna be taking liberties. And it just have to deal with it. It's just, you know, as long as the essence of the character is there, it's all you care about. And I felt that, you know, the, uh, Rupert, I think is his name, um, did a solid job as a Grand, Grand Inquisitor. Now, regarding the eyes um, for the Grand Inquisitor, and I have all comment about um, Fifth Brother in a second. Uh, I don't know if it's intentional that his eyes are always supposed to be yellow. Because I have noticed in the show that his eyes are not, I think it's only when he's in his dark side place that his eyes are yellow. So when he's angry, his eyes are yellow. Um, maybe, and I know in, uh, in Rebels, his eyes are always yellow. And I don't, I don't know if that's a stylistic choice or whatever. But if you look at, if you look at the show, and I've, I've you know, I, I've looked at it, I've tried to, you know, you know it's hard to look and, and, and go directly in, but his eyes aren't always yellow. And I wonder if that's purposeful because look at Anakin Skywalker in Revenge of the Sith, right? His eyes are yellow at one point when he's going super hard Sith, right? But um, after that, it's not. He's, you know, he when, he fight, when he's fighting uh, Anakin or somebody, Obi-Wan, his eyes aren't always, or aren't yellow. So it's just, I'm wondering if it's, if the yellow eyes are only a dark side kind of a thing and then you have to tap into uh, that, that's just an, an idea that I was thinking about. And also the fifth brother specifically, I'm not like, I don't like love him. I think he's, he's, he's a lot, I liked him a lot better than, than anticipated. I think his, his look is perfect. I think it trans again, translates pretty well to screen, um, that, you know, from, from animation to screen, as far as, you know, that kind of idea, I don't like how exposition heavy he is specifically. Like he's definitely the voice of like, we got to make sure the audience knows what's going on. So the fifth brother is going to state the obvious Reva don't do this because blah, 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 blah. It's like, okay, I get it. Like, or, you know, I, I feel like he's kind of like reemphasizing what needs to be happening. And it's like, that's his vehicle, but I like the character too, what they do with them. And I like him a lot more than anticipated because I think his translation is pretty good personally. But, um, but yeah, that was uh, that's been like my only criticism of his character is that I feel like he's been kind of getting the short change of like we gotta reemphasize plot. We'll use the fifth brother, and it's like, ah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I will say though, like I I'm liking him more so far in this show than I did in Rebels, just because in Rebels, oh, absolutely. In, in Rebels, he's, he seemed nothing. like just kind of like a dumb grunt, and it was mostly the seventh sister that was kind of the more yeah. sinister, like cunning one um, that had a little bit more of like a personality to her. I didn't really care that much for either of them to be honest um yeah but seeing him in this one like he's i like that he's got more of a personality like i said you can clearly differentiate like oh okay so the grand inquisitor is like the scheming manipulative one reva is like the the aggressive ambitious you know kind of reckless one and then the fifth brother is like at least among the inquisitors kind of the more like reasonable level-headed one um but also the one that's kind of more by the book and is like, oh, the Grand Inquisitor says we got to do this, so we must do this. And Reva's like, no, screw that. I'm going to do it my way. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying kind of the, the the interplay between all of them. Yeah, no, I, I, the, the Inquisitors have definitely been better than I anticipated as far as coming on from to screen. And it makes me 
want more like after Obi-Wan, to be honest. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, and also to be honest, I think this is in in a weird way. It kind of introduces the idea that, um, dark side stuff is going to be, or it it gets the the mainstream audience used to seeing other people have lightsabers that aren't Sith. That if that I know we don't mm. need that, but it it gets the audience used to the idea of like oh like there other 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 people use lightsabers. It doesn't have to be you know Sith. It's actually you know they are you know they're they're forms of Sith. You know whatever. You know what I'm saying though. Like you you kind of establish now to the mainstream. Not just Jedi and Sith carry lightsabers. They're the in-between. This is the in-between kind of idea. And that I think that's important for establishing for future uh, films and things like that and, and TV series. Yeah, now that you mentioned that, I'm kind of surprised they didn't make more of a point to say that the Inquisitors are not Sith to not get like kind of the casual audience confused. Well, I thought there can only be two, the Master and Apprentice. And then they see these three other dark side red lightsaber wielding <laughs> people in the show thinking, are, are they Sith or are Inquisitors Sith? So uh, mm-hmm. obviously we know the history that they're not Sith, but um, now that you're saying that, I was kind of thinking maybe why they didn't put more of an emphasis on saying like, no, they're not Sith. And maybe we'll get that in the last three episodes, but not a huge deal, but it just made me think about that. As you said, we got all that exposition early on as far as what the Inquisitors are and what their role is, but they didn't specifically say, but you know, they're not Sith or whatnot but because i agree yeah. i think that is something where this is some new territory for a more casual audience of seeing these type of characters um in the star wars universe outside of yeah. vader and palpatine especially in this time period yeah for sure um but i don't know i mean i, I feel like I'm, well it's hard to say because obviously i know the difference but like just with that initial um explanation that you know like we're inquisitors we hunt jedi this is what we do and then obi-wan explains it a little bit more to leia later and he says you know they're they were jedi that fell to the dark side um but also you know yeah if people have been paying attention and they know that like there's only ever two sith lords there's a master and an apprentice so i think there's enough context along the way that you can kind of delineate like okay these guys i guess work for the sith or they're dark side users but they're not sith lords um but we might see even a little bit more of that going forward um but yeah we'll see um but here we are almost 40 minutes into the episode and we finally get to start talking about Obi-Wan i told Kenobi. you Kyle. I told um, you. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah you know we, we see all this going on with the inquisitors in town and this jedi you know runs away and the grand inquisitor stops reva from killing him and then he you know runs out and apparently escapes out into the the dune sea or whatever um, and so then we finally cut to Obi-Wan Kenobi and we see him working in this kind of, uh, I don't know, work camp out in the desert where there's this giant either flying monster or it's hard to tell where this came, th- where this thing came from. It looks like some kind of giant fish that maybe like was flying and crashed in the sand or maybe lives under the sand and came up. But at first head, I thought it was a crate dragon again. <laughs> like it was that's seeing... what I thought at first, but the the design looks different, and it yeah, looks it's like, definitely different. But... Yeah, but yeah, when I first saw it, I was like, "Oh shoot, is this a crate dragon?" Um, but I just think anything that's on Tatooine is a crate dragon now. Like in the Book of Boba <laughs> Fett, when he, you know, that monster was like buried in the sand, I was like, "Oh, is this a baby crate dragon?" And then no, it's this big. Oh come on! You thought that was a crate dragon at there at first. Just when all you could see was, you know, some spiny thing under the sand. And, like, once it came out, it obviously wasn't a crate dragon. But I just wondered if that was what they were going to, like, encounter. Um, 
But yeah, so whatever this creature is, Obi-Wan's part of some work camp that is, you know, cutting this thing apart for meat and, uh, you know, shipping it back into town. And, you know, he's going home at the end of his workday. And right, you know, right off the bat, we see sort of how, um, I don't know, resigned and just beaten down he is when this guy that's like their supervisor or whatever, and is like handing out money to everybody, um, you know, he rips a guy off or, you know, he he shortchanges him and doesn't give him as much as, uh, you know, he thought he owed, thought he was owed and was like, hey, man, like, I got a family, like, this isn't fair, I was supposed to get double this or whatever. And the guy, like, punches him and he's like, you know, take what you get or else I won't give you any. And Obi-Wan just sits there and doesn't do anything about it. Um, And you can see, you know, the, again, just the kind of look on his face of, like, you know, there might have been a time where I would have jumped in and saved this guy or done something heroic, but, like, that's just not what I do anymore. Um, and it's kind of, it's it's interesting because I'm sure we'll get into talking about maybe some parallels between this and The Last Jedi. Um, but it is interesting to see, you know, really Obi-Wan won't. kind of in a similar place to where Luke was in that movie of just, you know, this... There's this, nothing similar. Anyway, moving it's on. It's very similar. <laughs> no, just they're, as, they're not as, similar. As they're not that similar. No, them, they're not. Sorry. It, it, I don't know. That just might be denial there for you, Paul. <laughs> I, I think it very much is. Where we see this great Jedi hero that we all know, and he's at this such a low point that he does, you know, he won't pick up his lightsaber again. He won't step in to help people. He's just kind of resigned to. He's uh, hiding to train Luke eventually. That's his whole point. Luke I is know. like, I know. I'm going to go back here and be bummed out because I almost murdered my nephew in his sleep. <laughs> That's two different things. Anyway, no, but it's it's twofold, though, because it definitely is part of his mission. Like and he knows he can't, you know, he's not going to risk exposing himself and and risk the Empire coming and and whatever. Like he's going to do whatever it takes to protect Luke. But there is also an element of him having given up, you know, I mean, to to kind of skip through some of the other stuff in the episode, like when that other Jedi comes to him and tries to get him to help. And he's like, because he's, prote- I, I know he's protecting Luke, but him also saying, even telling this other Jedi, you know what? He's like, bury your lightsaber out in the sand. Because he's trying not to compromise the mission. Cause he knows, he knows if he goes out it's there, it's not just that though. It's, it, yes, it is. It's not just that it's, you can, you definitely like, obviously that's, that's the logical explanation for it, but you can tell there's an emotional component to it too, yes. where he's, he's broken. Okay. You know, he's okay, not well, having the, nightmares at night about Anakin because of his mission to protect Luke. That's emotional trauma You're right. that he's the, dealing with. The similarities with. are that they are like, they're bummed out. Like, but the reasons and the actual, like why they're there are so vastly different that they don't, it doesn't really matter at this point in my opinion like they're so vastly they're, different one they're, di- they're definitely different sense. but it's both coming from that sense of failure on both of their ends yeah for different but types of failures least, but the difference but here's the thing though is that obi-wan at least knows he can make up for his failure whereas in last jedi luke's like i'm just gonna give up even though like my whole character assassination that happened th- you know 30 years ago in real time for us doesn't really matter like that i i made up for it but like, i'm gonna be bummed out and not going to do something that I shouldn't have ever done in the first place. Anyway, sorry, I hate the Last Jedi's part of this. Can we move on from this, please, please, please? <laughs> well, no, I think look, it's a fair comparison, though. Just, it's I mean, barely it a comparison. Was, th- that was that was one of the first reason. things I thought about seeing this, and it's like 
I just think it's interesting seeing Obi-Wan in the same kind of place. And again, you're right. Yes, he has a mission and that's part of it. But also he's dealing with that same kind of guilt there's a over reason what why he perceives as his yeah, own failure a, with Anakin. Here's the difference. Here's the biggest difference is that Obi-Wan is there for a reason and he's got a reason to be there. And he's like, he's sitting, but as he's waiting, he's being patient and waiting. The difference is, is Obi-Wan was waiting and, has, and became focused on his failures during that time. Whereas Luke is like, Oh man, this sucks. I almost murdered someone in their sleep and then leaves and then doesn't want to do anything regarding anything with anyone. Those are such vastly different reasons for why they're broken. Like it's, it, there's just, there's night and day in my opinion. So it, to I, me, I think it's a lot more similar than you give it credit for because as it, it's not just Luke being like, Oh, I'm, I'm, you know, mad that I almost murdered my nephew in his sleep. It's his his feeling of responsibility over Kylo and that his failure with him led to the collapse of his whole Jedi Order and the death of people that he cared about. And Obi-Wan is feeling the same way with Anakin, that he had this but, responsibility to train right, this but, Jedi but the, and there was the this weight on his is, shoulders is and he ben, failed ben has, and it led not, to the destruction of the Jedi Order. Ben isn't leaving everything behind and going like, actually, I'm not going to do... Because to me, that's where the comparison would be. Like, that's that's the only reason why I'm like, no, they're totally different. Because if Ben was like, you know what? Actually, I'm going to leave Tatooine if we find out that he actually leaves Tatooine, doesn't care, then yeah, I'd be like, oh man, they just last Jedi this thing up completely, and it'd be a complete. No, I'm not even. I'm not even talking sense. about. If directed it, he would be like, let's put Obi Wan on a totally different planet at this point, because that's how he writes things, apparently. But anyway, um, but no, like to me, sorry, I, I just I hate that comparison. To last Jedi is the only comparison. It is is that they're both bummed out. Like that's where the, that's where it starts and ends. That's it. It's so much more than just being bummed out. But okay. Anyway, they're both broken and bummed out. Okay, that's right. Yeah, I'm they sorry. are both broken, and that's what I'm saying. Is seeing Obi Wan this the, broken yeah, is the, only, the difference is is that Obi Wan like the reason he's broken is he's focused on his failure for so long, and he has to wait for it. He has to wait. He can't just train because he has to wait for him to grow up and and then go from there. Whereas with Luke, it's not that he just gets bummed out and focuses on his failure forever and, and just drifts off. No, but here's the thing too, though, is we know. That, I mean, Obi-Wan obviously is still focused on that mission because he talks to Owen and says, you know, that that Luke has to be trained at some point and everything. But I also feel like there's got to be a part of him that's wondering if that's even worth it. The fact that he's got not only his own, but also Anakin's lightsaber that we know he eventually gives to Luke that, to see that he's got it just buried out in the middle of the desert. I was like, that had me wondering, was there a time when he maybe considered just scrapping the whole thing or a time when he maybe wouldn't have given that saber to Luke eventually if he, you know, hadn't had to go back and dig it out at this point. So it's just interesting to me seeing him grapple with the same kind of things. I know it's not the exact same situation, but seeing him, you know, grapple with the same kind of grief and and failure and self-doubt and doubt in, you know, his purpose and the mission of the, of the Jedi and all that kind of stuff. It's just a, a really interesting headspace to see him and you know we've never seen obi-wan at this point before heck even in times like in clone wars when he's at some of his lowest points like when maul kills satine and stuff like that you still see him be you know resolute like he doesn't give in to anger he doesn't give in to this give in to despair like he's still uh you know at the end of the day is a jedi and he's gonna hold true to that and now seeing him in a in a different space where he's you know he's not helping people he's not 
doing any of that Jedi stuff. And I know obviously a part of it is because he has to protect Luke and he can't draw that attention, but you know there's an emotional component to it as well that he's just, he's broken inside. Um, and we see that too, even, you know, once he, like even times when he uses the force again or, or gets out his lightsaber again when he hasn't done this in like 10 years and he's he's hesitant to do it. Um, it's just a, a really interesting journey to see him go on. But I see, and that's the thing is that to me, that's a natural journey because he has no choice but to face his failure. Because and that and that to me makes it more compelling than what when I look at thing of like Last Jedi. Because at least with like Owen and Kenobi, is that like because that's my whole point. It's why it, it makes such vastly different things. Because Ben could also just be like, you know what, I'm just gonna train the boy and raise him myself. That that to me seems like the most obvious thing, you know. But for whatever reason, you know, Anakin or you know, Yoda and Obi-Wan and, and Bale all agreed that, that they should you know have him grow up and then when he's ready to then train him or whatever, right? When he starts showing, if, as we get in this reference in the show, to me, it makes more sense. It's more compelling and more even brutal that he had like, like Obi-Wan has to, you know, he, in the meantime, has to focus on his failures while he has to wait to, you know, face his failure eventually at some point. You know, and that to me is not the same thing as Luke just going off to obscurity. So when I saw these people talk about it online, I'm like, no, they're so vastly different. And I would say, like, to me, uh, Ben is way more tragic because he has to wait and sit. And like you said, Kyle, like, I think, yes, I think if you're broken and you're you're bumming out, you're going to doubt what you're doing on the planet. I think that's I think I, I have no I, I have no doubt that that's going to be that plays a part in it. I think that's what you see that in the performance of Ewan McGregor. I think that's so good. And that's why I think this, I love the show so much is that you, you, I think he conveys that in his, in his mannerisms and his facial expressions and all of that. That's all there on screen. I feel at least again, that's the way I interpret it. I feel that he definitely has doubted himself, but that's what makes the character vastly different than last Jedi is that this stays true to the character. He never once wavers. Cause that's the thing you can waver, you know, characters can have doubt. You have to, you know, when you, you have to establish the idea that that is a possibility, that's good writing. And I feel like that or a good acting or all those things combined is that to me, you, you convey that through the writing of the story that yes, you can, uh, you can relate and see him do that, but he never once wavers from his, what his, you know, personality is. Cause even that's the whole reason the show exists in the first place. It's the fact that he, he wants to try to, you know, do the right thing and wavers from himself, but actually, no, he does end up doing the right thing in the end, you know, not just, you know, waiting 30 years to do it because, you know, someone finally, you know, calls him out on it for once. So, you know, um, I, I don't know. To me, when I, the only comparison is that they're just broken down, like bummed out dudes. Yeah, I guess that comparison, is, that's where it starts and ends and that's it. So, but to me, this to me feels the exact reason why you'd want to do a show on this about someone who's broken because their characterization doesn't get destroyed or, you know, because of it, because it actually only enhances the characterization. So that's just to me... Well, well here's the thing. I think that this is a lot easier for people to take because we know that Obi-Wan's been in solitude for 20 years That's and fair. because we know and because we already know where he ends up in A New Hope. I think The Last Jedi was a lot harder for people to take because it had been so long since the original trilogy and we had all fantasized about seeing Luke again as this big Jedi hero and seeing him uh you know, instead in this place of, of darkness and tragedy and doubt is like not where we thought they would go with the character and not 
you know, what we wanted to see and not what matches up with a lot of the, you know, the image of Luke Skywalker that a lot of us had in our minds. Whereas it does feel like more of a, this kind of fits within the established timeline of what we know of Obi-Wan Kenobi, because we already know where he came from and we know where it ends. And this feels like something that would sort of make logical sense in between those two points. Yeah, I would agree with that too. I just, you know, you guys are making all these points that <laughs> going back why I agree and disagree, agree and disagree. But uh, to me, there's enough where there's very big similarities between the character arc that Luke and Obi-Wan go on to. But there are differences that you were saying to Paul as far as the reasoning and as far as like the end, the outcome and the end game for what they're trying to achieve in this moment of uh, feeling of failure and regret and all that. But yeah, it's definitely fascinating. I think it is a fascinating discussion just to deep dive on those similarities that um, both Luke and Obi-Wan had here. And to me, speaking of the similarities, it just, again, this makes sense of the overall reasons of these characters going through that when you look at the effect that Obi-Wan had on Luke as his teacher for a bit. And who knows how much more time he spent with Luke, which hopefully we'll find out um, over the course of this series in the last few episodes as far as being with Luke more than just what we saw him in A New Hope and just this making sense that Luke would kind of have that same reaction or outcome to his failures that Obi-Wan had too. But um, if I can make another comparison to the sequel trilogy, I don't think won't be as controversial <laughs> as this one. But that whole sequence with Obi-Wan seeing him at work, going back to where he lives, making his dinner, it all reminded me of our introduction to Rey in The Force Awakens. Yeah. And I'm not sure if that was intentional or not, but I think that was one of those moments where you felt like Star Wars uh, rhyming with itself and over the course of these different stories that we're getting, just very reminiscent of what we saw with uh, Ray and how her lifestyle is and Obi-Wan kind of similar to that, even just with him eating his food outside the cave and just looking out in the desert. I just love that similarities that we got, even though it has nothing to do of, you know, their relationship because i've seen some reactions going oh this should have made it where obi-wan actually was ray's father or something <laughs> like that it's like no it doesn't need that it's just good to yeah. see these comparisons between these two different characters but yet kind of going through the same circumstances at this point in their lives so i did like how that echoed uh, what we saw in the force awakens a lot uh, with obi-wan and ray yeah and even mentioned or even uh you know, paralleled with Luke in uh, A New Hope as well, a little bit, just seeing them start out on this desert planet, even though it's the same one that we've seen before. Um, and you're right, like, it, it definitely did have kind of some more parallels to Ray with him eating outside the cave and, and all that kind of stuff and seeing, like, his day job. Um, but just, you know, I, I couldn't help think of, like, Luke and Ray and now Obi-Wan. And it's like, even though we've already seen a lot with Obi-Wan, it's almost like in this story, it's like, it's his kind of hero's journey. Like he has to heed this kind of call to adventure and mm -hmm. leave behind this sort of, you know, bland life on this desert planet like we've seen before. So um, yeah, it was it was an interesting um, kind of connection to, to both of those stories that we've seen before. And it's cool to see Obi-Wan kind of get his own little hero's journey in this story now too. I gotta say, his setup he has in the cave is not that bad. <laughs> it yeah. does look like a nice, cozy place to live, despite it being a cave in the desert. Yeah, and of course, his little yeah. Jawa friend comes by to sell him parts, and I love that. I really like that sequence. He's like, he's like, oh yeah, my my evaporator or whatever it is is busted because somebody stole my this that or the other part. And the Jawa's like, oh, I've got one, and he's like, man, if you're gonna steal my parts and then sell them back to me, could you at least clean them first, just yeah. as a courtesy? And the Jawa's like, cleaning costs extra. Uh, it's like. Not even trying to hide the fact that he's swindling him. Yeah. I just love that moment so much. I mean, because 
that was the first moment we're watching the episode. It's like, man, it's just so great having Ewan McGregor back as Obi-Wan Kenobi, just hearing him talk again as Obi-Wan and just hearing him say that dialogue. It just felt like, you know, right back into uh, that role so comfortably. Like he didn't skip a beat there, just feeling like Obi-Wan, even though it's 10 years later than when we last saw him in Revenge of the Sith. So it was just great that moment. Just a nice introduction for uh, seeing Obi-Wan banter with someone which didn't think it'd be a Jawa is the first person we see him talk to in this series but it's just great seeing that this is what his life is like now here on Tatooine and the reason why he was uh, or at least wanted to spend his day's earnings on was so great too when I saw that mm-hmm. T-16 Skyhopper toy I was like oh man <laughs> that is just brilliant right there as far as the connection to what we see Luke in A New Hope and I like to assume that is the same model. Maybe he fixes it and brings it back uh, to Luke later on. Maybe that's what we'll, we'll see at the end of this series um, in the final episode. But because I really do want it now, that model we see Luke playing with a new hope to be the same one Obi Wan bought him. Um, yeah, it's just I think such it's a nice gotta time. be. I mean, it's got to be at this point, right? <laughs> yeah, it would be too much of a stretch to be like Obi Wan bought this, gave it to Luke, and then Uncle Owen came and like threw it back at him, and then Luke ends up buying the exact same model from somebody at Tashi Station or something like that. Like I, I hope that. I mean, maybe we'll go back to Tatooine by the end of the series and maybe he has a little bit of resolution with Owen and then maybe he lets him visit Luke or lets him give him the Skyhopper or something like that. And that would be kind of a nice note to end on. But then, of course, also, you know, we see in his little cave there and stuff like I said, he's having those nightmares about Anakin and and the stuff that we see in Revenge of the Sith. And he wakes up and is trying to reach out to Qui-Gon. Um, and it's funny, I don't know if you guys saw this, but like a a few weeks before the show came out, uh, like Liam Neeson was doing interviews and they were asking him like (laughs) if he was going to be in the Obi-Wan show and he's like, oh, you know, like I would love to go back and do more Star Wars, but, uh, like I've, I've got this weird snobbish thing where I don't like doing TV. I only want to be in movies. And it was like. Uh, excuse me, sir, you were already in the Clone Wars. <laughs> and then at Celebration, they announced the Tales of the Jedi and that he's voicing Qui-Gon again in that. And so it's like, you know, you can't even say like, oh yeah, that was, you know, 15 years ago and I've changed my mind now. It's like, no, like you're doing another Star Wars animated series. Like there's no doubt in my mind that we're going to hear Liam Neeson as Qui-Gon by the end of this show, especially yep. since, you know, we hear again in episode three, Obi-Wan trying to connect with him. Um... So, yeah, I think I thought that was just going to be something that maybe was only in the first episode. But it seems like now it's going to be kind of like a recurring thing throughout where he's trying to reach out to the force and trying to communicate with Qui-Gon. And I think by the end, that obviously is going to pay off and we're finally going to get that connection. And that's something, too. I'm kind of I don't know if they're intentionally taking it from here, but I, one aspect I like of the Kenobi novel that came out a few, several years ago was Obi-Wan trying to make that connection with Qui-Gon, but he couldn't throughout the course of that story until the very end. And it looks like that's going to be the same thing in this series where obviously we're seeing him trying to commune with Qui-Gon, but he's not responding. And that we know we're going to get that payoff eventually. And I actually think it might be in the next episode, but we'll get to that later. But I mean, it's just a no-brainer now that we know we're going to hear Liam Neeson as Qui-Gon in this series. Even at the moment where we were getting that recap and we got that uh, re- reminder of Yoda telling Obi-Wan how to commune with him. I will teach you. It was like, okay, we're getting Qui-Gon in this, mm-hmm. in this series at some point. But I do like where it is a struggle, where he's not always there for Obi-Wan. And it's because of probably the state Obi-Wan is in right now. And it's going to have to be something he's going to have to learn to change and adapt himself to use the Force more and to make that connection in order to commune with Qui-Gon. And I think that's going to be a really powerful moment once we see that 
happen in this series. So, but it's just yeah. great. I just love the tease and build up that they're uh, giving for us until that moment actually happens. Well, and I also, yeah. I'm, I'm jumping way ahead here, but I just to kind of piggyback off of that and on that same note about Qui-Gon and him kind of rediscovering his connection to the force when they're in like the safe house and he sees the, the writing on the wall from Quinlan Voss saying like only uh, with your eyes closed, can you see the path ahead or something like that? Um, and you see Obi-Wan kind of linger on that for a moment. And I think he's going to kind of take that to heart. For one thing, I thought it was a cool callback to like in A New Hope when he's teaching Luke to train with the lightsaber with the blast shield down mm. and how it's almost like, and you know, it's like even for him right now being so caught up in all this stuff with like the empire and trying to survive and, and trying to keep Luke hidden and all this stuff. It's like, he needs to kind of shut all that stuff out and, and I don't know, be more sort of centered and, and block out all these distractions in order to sort of truly see the way forward and, and truly connect with the force again and stuff. So um, I thought that was a cool little callback, but I think that's going to have something to do with, like, I don't think it's going to, you know, be as simple as him physically just like closing his eyes or whatever, but of course, yeah, um, yeah no, I, I think that's something that he's going to, going to kind of take to heart while trying to reconnect with the force and connect with Qui-Gon and something that might help him make some kind of breakthrough. Yeah, yeah. I, I I definitely feel that Liam's coming back, and like you said to uh, Kyle, he's he's just playing coy. And I let's be real, he's probably going to play a giant reason why Obi Wan's able to kind of refocus himself and becomes yeah. that the Jedi we see later on um, in Rebels and in A New Hope. So I mean, I feel that that's going to be all there eventually, which I'm really excited to get to. And I think. Honestly, I think the I think you know, sir, coming to to Vader, which we get we'll get to in a little bit here, but um, that with I think just learning and, and healing, and then both physically and emotionally, and coming to terms with some things will will, will be awesome. And I think that Qui Gon's going to be instrumental in that. Yeah, definitely, and that's an interesting point too, because I I kind of envisioned it to where like Obi Wan would kind of have to go on this this journey of self-discovery and and sort of reconnect with the force on his own and kind of go through his own growth and healing and everything. And then by the end of the series, he'd be able to connect with Qui-Gon because of that. Um, but yeah, maybe we will see him a little bit or hear him a little bit earlier. Maybe we will uh, see Obi-Wan, you know, make that connection with Qui-Gon and get some help and wisdom and insight from him that's going to you know sort of propel him forward and allow him to confront Vader again or rescue Leia or whatever he's got to do. Yeah, I have a feeling that once that we see that happen, it's going to be one of the highlights of the entire series. Oh, <laughs> I cannot absolutely. wait to see that unfold. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean, we you know we we see all this stuff going down on um, Tatooine. A, a couple other things there to mention is, um, you know, then like I said, we get that confrontation between him and Uncle Owen, uh, which also was really great to just see kind of their their opposing views on. Uh, sort of what's best for Luke. And, you know, obviously they both want what's best for him. They want him safe and protected, um, but they're kind of at odds with each other and both for good reasons. You know, Obi-Wan still is like, hey, like, you know, he's got this force power. He's our last hope. Like he's got to be trained when he's old enough. And Owen is like, especially thinking that Anakin is dead. He's like, hey, no, you tried to raise his father and he died and, you know, you failed with Anakin. I'm not going to let you fail with Luke too. Um, 
Which is funny because like it is kind of true that Anakin that Obi Wan failed with Anakin. Although I wouldn't say that Anakin's fall to the dark side was all Obi Wan's fault. Um, you know, he made his own choices, and obviously Palpatine injected a lot of his own influence into that. So it's not like this is all on Obi Wan's shoulders, but obviously he's taking it that way. Um, but yeah, so Owen saying, you know, you failed with Anakin. It's like, well, Anakin's not actually dead, but in a way, Obi Wan did still kind of fail with him. Um, so it's like you can see where he's coming from. You can certainly understand why he wouldn't want Obi-Wan to be around Luke and why he wouldn't want Luke to become a Jedi in this time period when Jedi are being hunted. Um, but at the same time, and we all know what Luke's ultimate destiny is. And of course, Obi-Wan, you know, needs to to prepare him for that. So it was just interesting to see, you know, kind of their two different philosophies clash there. Um, but then, of course, the Inquisitors come back and you have that confrontation between Reva and Owen where she's threatening him and his family and stuff. And that was pretty intense. I mean, and this is after she cuts off another lady's hand for just, you know, questioning her. And again, we see more of that uh, kind of difference in in tactics and approach between the Inquisitors where the fifth brother is like bribing people with money saying, here's the bounty. If you have any information, let us know. You'll be rewarded. And Reva's like, now screw that. I'm going to pick on one random guy and it'd be like, you know, tell me where the Jedi is or this guy and his family are all going to die. Um, and luckily, you know, it's just the fifth brother talking her off that ledge uh, that, you know, spares Owen. And it's like, oh, man, they were this close from maybe coming to his farm and finding out about Luke. So, um, you know, pretty close, close brush there in a, a pretty intense scene. So that was pretty cool to see. Yeah, Joel Edgerton is great as Owen. It's just so cool yeah. to see him at this point, as to play Owen at this point in his life where he is taking care of Luke. Um, I suppose when we just saw him in episode two and three. But um, we, we knew about that line that we had in the trailer, <laughs> the burn he gave to Obi-Wan. But um, the one that kind of caught me a bit by surprise is where his reaction to Obi-Wan where he asks about Luke and he's kind of just says, oh, like you don't really care about the boy. You're just concerned if he's showing or not. Just that in his mind, he doesn't think Obi-Wan actually cares about Luke. Because I always felt, you know, he knows Obi-Wan cares about Luke, but in his own way, from a Jedi's perspective. But, and that's kind of true too, but I thought he'd think that Obi-Wan genuinely cares for the well-being of Luke, but not just whether he's Force-sensitive or not. So, But Owens is coming from a complete place where he wants Luke to obviously have nothing to do with Obi-Wan, the Jedi, or whatnot. And even his line to um, Reva, where... She's questioning about the Jedi. He just goes, the Jedi are vermin. I hunt or I kill vermin on my farm. And it's like, I don't think he's just saying that to save face and make himself look good to uh, the third sister and not have him reveal anything. He, I think he generally feels that way about the Jedi. And so this just matches up so great to what we see, how we see Owen in A New Hope and in some of those um, Star Wars comics that we got early on in the new Marvel run. Um, so this is just great seeing Owen here again. And I'm, Kind of hoping this isn't the last we see of him because um, it's looking like Obi-Wan's not going to be on Tatooine at all until maybe the last episode or kind of towards the end of the series now as we only got three left, which is uh, a bit surprising, but it probably won't be. But if it is just like another sequence we get between the two of them, um, I won't say I'll be disappointed, but I'll be a little surprised that that's all we got of Owen in here. But again, there's three episodes left. We'll see. Uh, where Obi-Wan's journey takes them, but it's looking like um, it's going to be a while before they have another conversation with each other again. But what we did got was great. I just love the presence that uh, Joel Edgerton had in his portrayal as Owen here, which is really, really good. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think we will see him again. I think, like I said, I think we'll have, you know, the series probably end with Obi-Wan coming back to Tatooine, maybe finally getting to give Luke that ship, um, or at least watching over him one more time and seeing, you know, Luke with Owen and Beru. Like, I don't think we've seen the last of them. Um, especially because, like, you know, they they brought back uh, Bonnie P.S., who played uh, Beru in episode three. And I think she was, like, barely in this one. Like, I think she might be briefly in that scene where Obi-Wan is, like, watching them through the binoculars. Yeah. You just see um, it through the binoculars. That's it. Yeah, because I was like, she. I saw her name in the credits for that episode, but I was like, I don't even remember seeing her in the episode. So um, I wonder if she'll get some more screen time at the end, too. Um but yeah, I mean, that was that was a great scene there between the two of them. But also, um, I think this was earlier when when Obi-Wan goes to drop off the the ship at the house. Um, and then it, like that's when that Jedi comes to him in the middle of the night and is saying, uh, you know, he recognizes him as Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's like, oh, Master Kenobi, I found you. And, you know, and it, Obi-Wan's like pretending like. I don't know who you are. I don't know who this Obi-Wan is. Like, my name's Ben. I'm not a Jedi. I don't know what you're talking about. And the guy's like persistent. And, you know, finally he's, you know, he kind of levels with him. He's like, look, like the fight is over. We lost. You know, if you want my help, I'm, you know, here's my advice. Go take your lightsaber and bury it in the desert and just put all this behind you and forget about it. Um, and again, like, I'm sure part of that is with the idea in mind of protecting Luke because he doesn't want to draw undue attention to Tatooine. But you can tell that there's also this, you know, just sort of this broken spirit to him about it where he's like, you know, it's not worth trying to fight anymore, at least not right now. Not until, you know, like, again, Luke is sort of the the basket that he's putting all his eggs in, like, and all his hopes are on that. Um, so he's not interested in joining up with other Jedi. He's not interested in, in trying to fight back or strike back at the Empire or anything like that. Um, but then, you know, again, just seeing, I mean, first we saw it with, you know, the workers at his camp and it's like, well, you don't know how close Obi-Wan was to those guys, but now seeing it with a fellow Jedi who comes to him in need and he still turns him away. And, and this guy's like, please, you got to help me. Like the Inquisitors are after me. And Obi-Wan's like, nope, sorry, I'm not going to do anything about it. And then the guy ends up dead. Um, and it's interesting, you know, watching this again, I was trying to figure out like what exactly happened to him. Cause we don't see him die. We see him just, you know, strung up in the town square. And this is after the inquisitors have left. And so I was like, did, you know, did the inquisitors come back and kill him or did the townspeople actually kill him to get the bounty that the inquisitors offered? Mm. Um, and I thought at first maybe they had just like hung him up there to, you know, for the, like basically to just keep him captive until the uh, the inquisitors came back but it certainly looked like he was dead um yeah he wasn't just like hanging it, although he wasn't hanging by the neck the ropes were all like under his arms and stuff um but yeah he certainly looked you know dead and hung but i i i wonder if we'll maybe go back and get a confirmation of that at some point during the series but i have a feeling that maybe the townspeople turned on him because if it was the inquisitors you think you would think that they either would have just like force choked him or cut him down with the lightsaber um, no, they also could have done that just to sort of make a public example of like, this is what we do to Jedi. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just, I'd be interested to see if we ever get sort of a, a, a fully realized explanation of that. But regardless to see that another Jedi came to Obi-Wan in need of help and he turned him down and it ended up leading to his death and Obi-Wan doesn't necessarily seem to regret it was kind of dark, you know? And like, it's... Like I said, just, you know, it's, it's 
kind of sad seeing him at this time of his life and just knowing, you know, everything that he's been through and the reasons why he's doing what he's doing and why he feels what he feels. And again, yes, like part of that too is I'm sure he doesn't feel remorse because he's like, I know I did what I needed to do to protect Luke. Um, but there's also, again, there's a, a, a sort of brokenness of spirit there as well and, and sort of a, a loss of faith in the Jedi way. Whereas like, because Obi-Wan, like the Obi-Wan of the prequels, I feel like maybe would have made that sacrifice in order for, like if Luke was the most important person in the galaxy, he would have maybe let somebody else die in order to protect Luke, but he would have felt broken up about it. Whereas now he's just like, eh, there was nothing I could do. Like, you know, he chose to try to fight and and this is what happened to him and I wasn't going to get involved and he kind of just has to let it go. And it's, you know, it's uh, just kind of sad to see him at that point and sad to see what happened to that guy. Um but, you know, these are just kind of the, the times that he's in right now. Pinnacle of the dark times, right? Yeah. <laughs> he called it. yeah. That's just you said that about the way he possibly died. If it was like the townspeople of Tatooine that maybe got him and got the reward. I didn't even think about that, honestly. I just thought, oh, the Inquisitors must have caught up with him. Maybe he didn't have any information useful for them. And they killed him and set him an example uh, for the rest of the townspeople if they're ever hiding any Jedi. But I still think that's probably what happened. But... That's something I didn't think about that. What if it's the town people actually killed him and strung him up for the Inquisitors to see to get their reward and show that, no, yeah, we're on your side. We don't want any trouble. We'll weed out any Jedi if we come across that. Because that is definitely a much darker way to go about um, his demise if that is actually what happened. But I, I don't know if we'll ever get the answer to that, but it's definitely kind of fascinating to think about if that is actually what happened. Yeah. It was just interesting because, again, like you see – like after Riva and and the fifth brother have that confrontation with everybody in the square and the, the fifth brother leaves that bounty puck behind, like they leave, they get in their ship and they fly away. So like they're presumably not even on Tatooine anymore unless they went to a different part of Tatooine to hunt for him. Um, and then we never see them come back. We just see him strung up. And so it was yeah. like, it's almost easier to believe that the townspeople just killed him than to believe that like the Inquisitors came back, killed him and left again all off screen, you know, like, this just kind of would be a lot to go through, but um, regardless, you know, a tragic end for that guy. Um, but then, of course, we got to get to the one other, you know, big aspect of this episode that we haven't talked about yet. And that is uh, the whole other thing that's going on on Alderaan with Princess Leia. And um, right off the bat, obviously, the the young actress uh, Vivian Lyra Blair that plays Leia, absolutely fantastic job. Um I mean, right from like her first scene where you see her, I was like, you know, yeah, she she nails it. She's got the the mannerisms and the the smarts and the, you know, sort of, I don't know, brashness and, and pluckiness and stuff that Leia would have. Um, but also this was just sort of a light bulb moment where, you know, we all wondered going into this show, like what is going to be sort of the catalyst for this mission that Obi-Wan goes on and what is it that's going to get him to leave Tatooine? Because we all know how important that is that he stays there and protects Luke. Um, and, you know, it's like it would have like you're going to have to like we can we can suspend our disbelief as fans. But like you're going to have to come up with something pretty significant that would get him to stop watching Luke to leave the planet and go off on some other mission. And as soon as we cut to Alderaan and you see Leia, it's like, oh, that's it. And especially once you see, you know, like the the bounty hunters or whatever out in the forest that are kind of spying on her. It's like, oh, something's going to happen to Leia and he's going to have to leave 
you know, stop protecting Luke for a second to go help Leia. And like, that just makes perfect sense. And it's something that I don't think I ever really considered uh, going into the show. But yeah, again, it was just one of those things that once you see it, it's like, oh yeah, duh. Like, I don't know why I didn't think of that. Um, but uh, yeah, so it was, I thought it was a, a cool story beat and I'm just loving her performance as Leia so far and loving seeing the dynamic between the two of them having this sort of pseudo like father-daughter relationship um, as Obi-Wan's been on this mission to rescue her. Um, but, it, you know, and of course it's brought up all these questions about people saying like, oh, this goes against canon because in A New Hope, like she calls him General Kenobi and says you fought in the war with my father and so it doesn't sound like she knows him and whatever. Um, but it's like, yeah, the, I think that's about as big of a retcon as Anakin saying, uh, you know, my powers have doubled since the last time we met Count and then we see in Clone Wars they've met a bunch more times. Um, it's like, yeah, maybe that takes a little bit of significance out of a couple of lines, but it's not a major retcon. It doesn't actually change anything about the story. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it is kind of weird that Leia would say like, oh, years ago, you served my father in the Clone Wars instead of like, hey, man, remember a few years ago when you rescued me? Well, like, I kind of need you to rescue me again. Um, but, you know, that's obviously just sort of a, a minor thing that's not going to line up when you're going back and telling all these stories and stuff. But I think, uh, you know, just... That's a that's a little thing. It's not a big deal to me. Um, some people are making way too big of a deal out of it. And like I said, again, I don't think there's anything in here that really contradicts any hard canon stuff. Um, but just, you know, the, the character has been fantastic. Seeing Alderaan again is just it's beautiful. I love that planet and I, I'm glad we get to see more stuff there. So this was the biggest like sort of welcome surprise of the episode. I had no idea that uh, we were going to see Leia in this episode, let alone spend this much time on Alderaan. Same. This was incredible to get. I mean, I heard rumblings that Leia might possibly have a role in the series, but I thought very small. But once yeah, like in the I, middle, I heard the same too, and I thought like maybe she'll factor into the story at some point later down the line. I did not think we're going to see her right off the bat, and she's going to be like the main thrust of the story. Yeah, and like once Alderaan shows up in the middle of the episode, it's like okay, <laughs> I know we're what's coming pretty soon and but to be honest kyle i didn't have that same reaction that you did right away as far as her being the reason obi-wan's gonna leave tatooine maybe i was just in a state of disbelief of seeing leia at this young age so much and just this actress being perfect in leia as a young kid and just saying oh man i can't believe we're seeing i mean we got a glimpse of luke at this age but now we're seeing leia too this is something that's just blowing my star wars fan mind right now <laughs> seeing these two iconic characters at this young age um but yeah just everything about the introduction for leia just seeing all on was perfect it's even her dynamic with bail it's just they just have such a great father-daughter relationship that um just adds to eventually the tragedy of the destruction of Alderaan of leia mm -hmm. just not losing her pe her whole planet but just her mother and her father and just knowing how close she was to them and the fact that we're getting that explored so great early on in this episode which is fantastic to see and yeah, going into, we'll go into the probably Obi-Wan and Leia relationship further on in the next two episodes. But uh, just right away, just knowing that her being kidnapped was the reason that Obi-Wan leaves Tatooine, just just brilliant. Because like you said, we speculated on what that reason would be in the series. It's because he realized Anakin was alive and he has to do what he wasn't able to do on Mustafar, leave Tatooine to make sure he finishes off Vader, just all these different things. But 
none of them came close. I think how perfect having him to go rescue Leia is and for that to be the reason. And Bale even says it to him like, Obi-Wan tries to say, no, my mission is for the boy. And he's like, what about his sister? She's just as important as he is. And it's just great where like Obi-Wan had to come to his senses and realize that. And um, for that being the reason, yeah, such a great explanation or reasoning for having to leave the planet. And as far as going the whole thing with canon and people complaining that a retcon thing or doesn't line up, to me, it's the exact opposite. It adds to yeah. the moment you see in A New Hope. Um, I know everyone's kind of saying the message he sends to Obi-Wan leave or means a whole lot more now um, than we used to think. And that's totally mm-hmm. true. But the moment I actually think of that to me just adds so much more weight is when Luke rescues Leia in the Death Star. He says, I'm here with Ben Kenobi. And that excitement she has when she hears the name Ben Kenobi. Oh, ben Kenobi, where is he? Like, yeah, now that point. just adds a lot more to it where you can know why she has that reaction, knowing uh, the journey she takes with them and that relationship and that bond that they form just in these first few episodes. So it's just oh, such a brilliant move. It's one of those things where I would not have guessed this is the direction the series of Obi-Wan Kenobi would go. Obviously, the initial thing would be, yeah, he's going to have some uh, moments and maybe an adventure or two with Luke over the course of the series while they're on Tatooine. But with Leia, as much as an important part as she's playing in the story, like no way I would have thought it. But I think it just lines up so beautifully and perfectly uh, for the story they're trying to tell. And it's just, to me, again, great that Obi-Wan, you know, we know he's such an important character in the Skywalker saga and just the role he plays with the different members of the Skywalker family, obviously Anakin, Luke, and through the Clone Wars and the prequels, Padme. But we never really thought too much of how much of a relationship we've had with Leia. And the fact that now he has um, spent some pretty significant time with her just, again, adds to his importance as a character in his role amongst the Skywalker family. It was just so great to get this in this series and just how well done it was. So it was, it was a surprise, but man, it was such a great one that was executed. So, so perfectly. And I just can't wait to see more. It's because we know there's going to be more stuff between Obi-Wan and Leia. And we're just on this first episode too. There's more great stuff that we got in episodes two and three, but it was just such an awesome surprise to get once uh, we got that shot of Alderaan. And then we get the reveal that we're going to be spending some significant time with Leia as a 10 year old. I I was shocked that she was the reason that he gets off planet, but I felt you couldn't have written it any better. Yep. And I think that's the, the biggest thing of the show. I'm, I'm not going to echo everything you guys have already said, but I will say a couple things that maybe weren't emphasized for me anyway. Um, I think one, I, I love it. I was, I, 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 I avoid spoilers. If most people know, I, I heard she was going to make an appearance and I'm like, Oh crap. I, I saw that. I'm like, I didn't want to know that crap, crap. I kind of, you know, try to get out of my mind, but I was not anticipating it being what, what it's turned into and which I'm so thankful. I didn't know. It's been a, a real pleasant surprise for many different reasons. Um, one of the things that you emphasized on Tim is that like this retcon is actually enhances things. And I, I am for one think it does. And I think to me, I never like looked to it as like it was a uh, general Kenobi, you know, you like, you know, because again, we don't know why we don't know if she knows that Obi-Wan Kenobi is the same person as Ben Kenobi. And even if it is, I, I think she like, will by the end of the show, but 
I don't know because, but either way, I mean, I I think you could you could write around it to the fact that it shows General Kenobi, you fought all my you fought alongside my father in the Clone Wars. Now he's asking you, you know, for help. Like it's almost like she's being she's being formal with it because that's what she's been trained to do now. Yeah, that's and how so, I take it. Yeah, yeah, that's how. But but at the same time, I think there's also room for interpretation of like this is a, not the same person because. She does say, Ben Kenobi, where is he? When, like, when Luke says, I'm here with Ben Kenobi. She said, what? Like, she, for all she knows, it could, they, to protect Obi-Wan's identity, they, you know, Bale could say, Ben is not Obi-Wan Kenobi. You know, and he tells her that, potentially. Um, we don't know. Um, we don't know that. Because we could just, because, you know, as she grows, because, again, she's got to know and keep a secret as a young child that this, this, this guy, she knows a Jedi. So maybe she says there, there's a way they kind of make it to where they she does think they're two different people. It would make sense either way. It make I think it all works, and I think the only thing about this uh, this series as a whole is that even though there are, it's not been flawless and perfect and uh, and just drop down like flawless and, and and amazing in a sense where it's like it's you know it's uh, the execution hasn't always nailed. Uh, and everything and every, every, every single episode. I, I, and again, that's, I hate to be nitpicky on these things, but it's not always perfect. And we've gotten to some of those things already, but what I will say that this series, I feel has been just, has been almost flawless to do an extent to me is the story is, is airtight. And that's the way I've been describing it to people is that, the reason why I think everyone's have been has been predominantly loving the series, and I, I I ignore Rotten Tomatoes thing. I don't I I just for all the reaction and everything it's gotten on online, people love the show, and I'm just and that's what I'm going with. Um, I think the reason why people like this story so much or the series so much is because the story is so good, um, despite some of the flaws in the execution of the story, and sometimes I think to my in my opinion the series looks kind of like a TV series a lot of times. It goes from looking completely like a cinematic movie to TV series kind of back and forth, and it's just kind of jarring sometimes. That being said. The story is airtight, and I think the reason why it's airtight is because you ha why Obi Wan leaves the, you know, the planet initially, and it's so perfect, it's so well done that it 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 I make it makes up for all those lack of execution things in the series so far. So, yeah, the story in Leia is why the series is exists in the first place, and I think it's a pretty damn good reason. Yeah, it definitely yeah. is. Um... And, you know, one other thing, too, that I heard people mention as far as, like, things that it actually kind of adds to is, like, this gives a lot more of a sort of a valid reason for why she would name her son Ben. Um, yeah, that too. Yeah. You know, before it was just like, oh, yeah, he was important to our family. Like, he helped train Luke and, you know, he, he came with us and, you know, helped rescue me from the Death Star and whatever. But, like, now knowing that they had this this mission earlier and this much more personal connection um, gives a whole lot more context to that as well. Um, so yeah, you know, we get the whole introduction of her on Alderaan. I love that when, you know, she's at like the dinner party or whatever with her cousins and she like thanks the droid and the, her cousins like, you don't need manners when talking to a lesser life form. And she's like, oh, okay, then I guess I don't need manners when I'm talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, oh, yeah. that was a savage roast. Um, and again, just, you know, perfectly in line with Leia. It's funny because I've heard some people criticize and be like, 
uh, oh, you know, kids don't actually talk like that or they're making her like too smart or too sophisticated or whatever. And it's funny because I don't have kids, but I've heard people who do be like, uh, if you think that, then you haven't actually, you, like you've never spent time around an actual 10 year old because they would say stuff like that and surprise you. Um, but then also like anytime there's anything that I find maybe a little bit unbelievable or like, oh, like that, like a, a 10 year old wouldn't actually say that or act like that or whatever. Like I just put it in the context of, yeah, but Leia would like this girl that's the daughter of Anakin and Padme is, you know, being raised as royalty and already being, you know, groomed to potentially like eventually be a senator and a politician. And, you know, she's probably got like the best education and she's super smart and everything yeah. like <laughs> A, a regular kid might not say that, but she would like, I absolutely buy into that. So I think she's just been fantastic so far. She's been, you know, one of the, uh, you know, one of the most like surprisingly, um, positive things about this show so far that like, like you said, Tim, like we were expecting her to maybe show up at some point later down the line, but I did not expect her to play this big of a role in the show. And it's just been, you know, such a breath, a fresh, breath, breath of fresh air, uh, you know, seeing that dynamic between the two of them and, and just getting to see Leia this time period of her life that we really know nothing about uh, up to this point. So that's been really great to see. I don't um, but, think that, uh, you know, really quickly, I kind of talk about Leia in general. She, the actress, my my mom, I talked to her about the series. She says, I don't really like the, the, the actress, you know, that plays Leia, you know. And she just was kind of criticizing the kid. And I said, you know, it, it, what I think she, I think her performance has gotten better throughout every time I see her. It's like, it's almost like, I don't know if they shot in sequential order. It almost seems like they did because every time I, she, she shows, shows up on screen from the introduction on her, her performance only gets better and better and better and better. And maybe I'm just reading too much into it, but that's the way I see it. I, her, it's her introduction is a little weird and jarring again not the greatest execution. And I hate to say this and bring this out right now. I know she's a little girl and her teeth are perfect and, and they're all, she's missing teeth and stuff like that. But like, they also looked really yellow initially, like and it, very jarring to me. I was like, they couldn't get her a dentist before this. Cause it her, they, they look better afterwards. It seems like, but it's just like, it's just weird to me. I'm like, they look really bad here. Like, this is like, come on guys, let's, 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 let's give her a better look of this right here. But after that, it's her performance just gets better and better and better. And one of the things that I really appreciated, I was telling my mom, I was like, she's like, well, they, you know, she's just not a very good actress. I'm like, you know, the one thing that I was a little surprised at, which I think she's done a great job of, I think a lot of people would agree that she, like, they give her a lot to carry, man. Like she, they ask yeah, yeah. a lot of her as an actress. I'm like, dang dude, like they're not just, uh, you know, oh, here's a couple lines. Just, you know what? No, 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 no. They give her a lot of heavy lifting to do. And I was, I, and, and does she nail everything like 100% amazing? No, but like, but like I said, every scene she does gets better and better. It seems like, and I think she's done a good job. And I told my mom, I'm like, you know, to be honest, I kind of blame a little bit on on the writers a little bit on that because that's asking a lot of a kid to do. I mean. Let's be real. How many child actors are going to be able to nail a performance like this? It's going to be tough, man. So I feel that she's done a pretty good job, to be honest. And I don't think they could ask. I mean, if they could, could they find someone maybe do better? Maybe. But I mean, that's still to, to, to pull this off the same way she is. It's going to be asking a lot. And I thought she's done a good job. So I think she's been great. Uh, 
there's been a couple moments here and there in the episodes where she's a little weaker than others, but for the most part, she's pretty dynamic. And I think she's got a bright future ahead of her, man, because she's like, she's got a lot of personality and she's handled a lot of heavy uh, dialogue. And, and again, like just interactions with people by herself, really impressive. Yeah. And I mean, here's where I'm at with it too. Like, we all know, like, just when it comes to child actors in Star Wars, and particularly with, with Jake Lloyd, but also even people that weren't child actors, like, you know, Ahmed Best and Kelly Marie Tran, and people that have been, you know, bullied and received a lot of hate and, and you know, just nasty stuff from so-called fans because of their performance in Star Wars or pe because people just don't like them as a person or whatever. Um, you know, I'm just, like, we're not going to do that again. I don't want any part of that. Um you know, and I, like, again, for the most part, I've seen a lot of positive reaction to her performance as Leia, but I've seen some people be really critical of it. And I'm like, you know, what? I'm not going to say a, a bad word about it and add to you know any of that negativity. Like, even if, you know, there's things that maybe could have done been done better or whatever, like, I'm not going to just sit there and, you know, nitpick and, and say bad things. About it. And I'm not saying that about you, Paul. I'm just saying like with people in general, like I just there's enough negativity out there that I'm like, you know what? It's good. I like it. I'm not going to, you know, nitpick and criticize and, and whatever. Like, um, I'm just I'm I'm here to say good things about it. Same with Moses Ingram as Reva. Like, obviously, with the some of the, the racism and hate and stuff that she's gotten, which is just ridiculous and good on, you know, Star Wars and Ewan McGregor for calling it out and, and defending her publicly. Um, but it's like is you know, is, is Reva my favorite Inquisitor or is she my favorite character on the show? No, but like, I like her. You know, I like her character. I like Moses Ingram's performance. I think she's a, a fine addition to the cast and to the, the Star Wars universe. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to go much more beyond that when there's people sending, you know, so much, you know, negativity out there. And it's just like, let's just enjoy things and especially leave the people involved out of it. You know, when people are like, you know, it's one thing to, to criticize an actor or, a you know, like a performance or, or, you know, writing or execution in the story or whatever. But when people go after individual people and, you know, go after people online and whatever. And obviously uh, the actress playing Leia, you know, is probably too young to be on social media. I hope she is because I hope she's not on there reading, you know, some of these comments that people are making. Um, and again, I haven't seen a whole lot of negative stuff about her character, but I've seen enough that it's like you wouldn't say that to her face. I hope you wouldn't. If you're a decent human being, don't say it on the internet. Just, you know, let people enjoy things. Um, so yeah, I think she's great. I think, uh, you know, I think she's great. I think Moses Ingram is great. I think everybody needs to freaking take a chill pill. Um, but yeah, I, I think they're doing great work so far. You're here, yes. <laughs> But um, yeah, so going back to, you know, Leia and Alderaan, then of course we get her uh, kidnapped by the bounty hunters, taken off world. We find out that they're working for Reva and that she is, you know, going through, uh, you know, going through Leia to try to get to Obi-Wan. And again, I, like I'm interested to find out what the connection is between, like, like we know that Reva has, you know, she wants to go after Obi-Wan because she wants to gain favor with Vader. Um, we find that out kind of right off the bat and then obviously that's reinforced more later. Um, but I'm still kind of curious as to like whether she has some sort of personal motivation for, you know, some sort of personal vendetta against Obi-Wan. And it does seem like, I don't think the Inquisitors have encountered him before, but it sounds like they've looked for him before because they're like, you know, he's gone. We're not going to find him. Like we've been over this before and she's like the only one that's not willing to give up the hunt. 
Um, so I'm interested if we'll get a little bit more of that backstory between, you know, Reva and, and the rest of the Inquisitors and sort of what their deal is with Obi-Wan. And if it's just, oh, we want to find him because we know he's important to Vader. Um, and, you know, we're just trying to gain his favor or if there's something more to it than that. But I also wonder, and I know this is kind of jumping ahead a little bit again, but we know that Reva knows that uh, Vader is Anakin. And I wonder if maybe she's the only one that knows that. And because of that, that gives her more incentive to want to go after Obi-Wan because maybe she's the only one who really understands how important that is to Vader. So, um, you know, I, I'm sure we'll kind of find out more about that as we go along. But obviously, uh, you know, it's important enough to her that she's willing to hire these bounty hunters to to kidnap Leia to try to get directly to Obi-Wan. Uh, interestingly enough, like she doesn't know the importance of Leia, but she knows that she's Bale's daughter and she like went digging through the Jedi archives and found out that Bale and Obi-Wan had a connection, which I think is funny because like we never really see Bale and Obi-Wan that closely together in the prequels or even in the Clone Wars series, like until the end of Revenge of the Sith when they all agree to go into hiding together. But so like even in, um, in A New Hope when Leia's like, oh, years ago you served my father in the Clone Wars, it's like, Okay, well, we never really saw Obi-Wan like work directly for Bale or like do anything special for him in the Clone Wars. But like, sure, I guess so. Um, but now they're kind of playing off that same idea where Reva's like, you know, she finds out that they work together and that they've got this connection. And so she banks on that and is like, okay, well, if I kidnap Bale's daughter uh, and he's got, you know, this one remaining Jedi that's still out there that he's got a personal connection with, like if anything would draw Obi-Wan out, like I'm going to try that and see if that'll work. Um so, you know, clever tactic by her. And obviously it works. And it's funny because like the only reason it works is because she doesn't know just how important Leia yeah. is. <laughs> like if Leia wasn't Anakin and Padme's daughter, uh, Obi-Wan probably would be like, sorry, Bale, that sucks. I hope you get your daughter back. You know, good luck hiring some bounty hunters or whatever. But like, I can't leave Luke. But the fact that it's Luke's twin sister and she's, you know, as as Bale says to him, just as important as Luke is. Which is true because we know, you know, obviously Luke ends up being the Jedi and he's, you know, the main character of the original trilogy. But like at this point, they wouldn't know that, you know, there's just as much potential of of Leia becoming the one to defeat Vader as there is for Luke at this point. So, um, yeah, like the, and that's the only thing that that draws Obi-Wan out of hiding, even though Reva doesn't even really know that, uh, you know, doesn't realize the importance of what she's doing. Um. But yeah, obviously like an interesting, um, interesting angle to to launch the story off that, like we talked about. Um, and of course, Bale comes to Tatooine to, you know, sort of plead with Obi-Wan personally and convince him to take up this fight. And uh, again, reiterate just how important Leia is. And it's like, yeah, you want to stay here and protect Luke. But like, what about his sister? She's just as important. And so we see Obi-Wan after, you know, again, it's kind of like third time's the charm, like first his workers in need, then the Jedi is in need. And now finally it's Leia that's in need. And even like when they call him on the hologram at first, he's still is like, sorry, I can't do it. And when Bale finally comes to him in person and, and convinces him to do it, um, you know, you have the moment of him like digging the lightsaber out of the sand and then going off on the transport at the end of the episode. And I love that. I think it's the final shot where he stands there, he's looking at the transport and you can still see he's like hesitating. He's like, I don't know if I want to do this, both in terms of leaving Luke and just in terms of, you know, committing to being a Jedi again and, and kind of taking this up. And, uh, you know, this thing that he had kind of given up on and and was, you know, having all these doubts about, he's like, all right, I got to face that and 
go do some Jedi business again. And the lady's like, hey, you coming? And, and you know, he he takes a step forward, hands her the chip or whatever. And I love the shot as he's walking from behind where just the subtle brush of the cloak where we see the lightsaber hanging there. Because um, all you saw before, you saw him dig out the box and you saw that the lightsabers were in the box, but we didn't see him take it out or ignite it or, you know, equip it to himself or anything like that. Um, and so just seeing that he's got it on the belt again, it was like, all right, Obi-Wan Kenobi's back and, you know, he's he's going out to do his thing. So that was a really cool way to end the episode and just a great culmination of kind of a, an entire character arc just within one episode of him, you know, going from broken down and hiding in the desert to accepting that call again and, uh, you know, going off to to take up the fight. So. Um, I really love that final scene and, and just his character arc throughout this whole episode. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll talk about, you know, obviously where they go from there, but any, any thoughts you guys have as we just wrap up this first one? Um, I just, I just love the moment too of him getting the lightsabers back out and I knew it was going to be in there, but just seeing visually Anakin and Obi-Wan's lightsaber just together <laughs> and that he had to bury them. And just, it made me think also too of, the eventual fate of Anakin's lightsaber again in the Rise of Skywalker, where Rey ends up burying it on the desert of Tatooine too, but now with Leia's uh, lightsaber also intact. But um, it was just cool to see that moment of Obi Wan, you know, before burying both of them and now coming having to dig them up. And uh, I guess it's safe to assume he left Anakin's uh, saber in that box and buried, but uh, we know he'll eventually get it back out of there um, and, and hangs on to it to get to Luke. But just a cool moment seeing those two lightsabers uh, together again, I thought. Yeah, I think this was a, a great way to end the episode. I love this, to see him, him getting the lightsabers out. And I love uh, Bail. It takes Bail to come down and, and convince Obi-Wan to do it. It took him, you know, I, I just loved all that. I thought it was great. Yeah, for sure. Um so yeah, then we kick right off into the second episode with that, uh, you know, the transport ship that he takes landing on uh, Dayu, um, which is a new planet that we haven't seen before. But, you know, this is the one we saw in the trailers and it's got kind of all the, the neon signs and, you know, it's got like a... A.K.A. Blade Runner planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Blade Runner. I, I mean, I saw them described as, you know, very like Hong Kong inspired um, just a lot of kind of like city nightlife and, and bright neon signs and everything, but it was a, a cool atmosphere. I mean, it was sort of reminiscent of like the lower levels of Coruscant. Um, but I think it had enough of its own distinct feel that this felt right at home as like a new Star Wars planet. So, um, that was pretty cool. I mean, we meet some interesting characters here, like, uh, gosh, I forget his name, but like the Jedi con man that, uh, Kumail Nanjani plays. Um, where he's, you know, I, I like the, the kind of like morally gray area that this guy's in where like, he's scamming people. He's pretending to be a Jedi. He's taking people's money, but he is also helping people. Um, and you see him, you know, we're, we're first introduced to him where he's working with this family and like, he takes all their credits, uh, but he helps them get off world, which is funny. Cause so there's, it's like a mom and this little boy. And they they briefly mention, you know, your son having abilities and the Empire will be after him. And so I was wondering, like, is that is he force sensitive? And apparently in the in the credits, he's listed as Corin, as in Corin Horn, who's like another uh, a Jedi character from the expanded universe that, you know, that Luke trains after episode six or something like that. So um, it'd be interesting to see if that was just kind of like a little Easter egg they threw in there or if they're actually planning to bring that character, you know, 
like if that's a, a seed that they're just planting now that they're going to bring him back around as, as an adult later in the, the episode six to seven time period. Um, but interesting little thing to note there. Um, but yeah, you know, the fact that he's trying to help his mom smuggle him off world. And like I said, he kind of swindles her out of all his credits and he's putting on this big show where he's got magnets up his sleeve and is pretending to, you know, pull things with the force. And then he's talking to somebody over his comm link and is being like very obvious and over the top where he's like, I'm doing a Jedi mind trick and I'm inside your mind right now. And now I'm leaving your mind. And you know, like it's pretty obvious to anybody that has seen Jedi before that this guy's not a Jedi, but you know, he's swindling people out of their money, but he still is helping them, you know, get off world and escape the empire and stuff. So, um, I don't know, kind of a bit like Hondo in that way where it's like, you, you can't trust him, <laughs> but you kind of can like, he'll, he'll help you out. He's just going to steal your money while he's doing it. So, um, and then of course at the end he helps Obi-Wan, uh, get off world as well. So he was a fun new character. Um, and I wonder if maybe we'll see him again because he's connected with this this group that we you know see more of later that they meet up on the next planet. And uh, he survives the end of the episode. I was surprised when he confronts Reva and he's like he's he's trying to stall for time and help Obi-Wan escape. And he confronts Reva and pretends to be a Jedi. And Reva's just like, you're no Jedi, but you've met one. And she looks in his mind, finds out where Obi-Wan is and leaves. And I was kind of surprised that she didn't just like cut him down or something. But maybe we'll see him show up again. Yeah, before I... Uh talk about it. his character's name is Aja, by the way. Um, oh, okay. But the probably the saddest moment in the series so far, Obi-Wan coming across a veteran clone just yeah. sitting on the side of the street asking for change so we can get a hot meal. Uh, it's great to see Temuel Morrison playing a clone trooper again, but man, did it suck seeing that. But this is the state of what happened to some of the clones throughout the galaxy. Just, you know, resorting to begging for money just for food and it really sucked but i also did like seeing obi-wan's reaction there where he realizes they're suffering uh, greatly of the tragedy of the events of the clone wars and order 66 and all that stuff just being manipulated by palpatine obi-wan i think maybe he didn't realize that right away at revenge of the sith it didn't seem like as he's mowing down clone troopers trying to get back to the jedi temple I think over the years in his isolation of Tatooine, he realizes that the clones were just as much as a victim and as the Jedi were in this whole scenario of the Clone Wars. And he recognizes that and decides to give some credits to that clone trooper. So I was, I was glad that it just wasn't a thing where Obi-Wan sees him and kind of still has resentment towards the clones for what happened, kind of as Kanan still does, as we see in Rebels. But I think he realizes they're they're suffering just as much as the surviving Jedi's are just trying to survive and we're just manipulated by Palpatine. So it was a really cool moment to see. Again, just great to see Tim Morrison as a clone trooper again. But man, it just sucks seeing the realization of what some of the clones had to go through as they aged out. And then immediately just seeing some stormtroopers like seconds after <laughs> the mm-hmm. shot moves away from the clone, you see uh, what the galaxy has become with the stormtroopers replacing them. So a great moment, but again, it still sucked. To see, it sucked to see a clone being well, <laughs> resorted and, to doing that. And, and and I I think also how the clone trooper kind of also is Obi Wan Kenobi looking at, at like a, a an extreme version of himself, mm. you know, a little bit. And I thought that was very fascinating. I think I think it was meant to be a Easter egg. But I don't think it was meant to be um, to me artistically. I, I viewed it as he it forces him to look at himself as what he could turn. That's like the extreme opposite. If you went that extreme, we talked about the last mm, Jedi kind of a thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that to me is what represents it. It's a reminder for him to be like, oh man, I, this is not what I want to turn into. And I think that to me is what, again, how I interpret it. And I, I've always liked, thought that was a really, I think it was both an Easter egg, but also I think for him to kind of see himself and be like, oh God, like I, I can't be like, I have to be more than that. So yeah. I thought that was a really interesting idea for that. I, I, I think that's what they reason, the, the main reason why they put it in there, but maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I think you're right that like it was an Easter egg, but also like served a story purpose as well. But I'm kind of more along the lines with Tim of like, I think it was him, you know, kind of just seeing the the after effects of the war. And like, that's a piece of his past that he like another piece of his past that he's being confronted with and just seeing um, these soldiers that he fought beside and now what's become of them uh, during this time of the empire. Um, and so I don't think it's so much like a thing of like, oh, he could become that, but just kind of showing him and showing the audience like you know these guys that you know sort of i mean it, it kind of parallels the jedi where it's like these guys that were kind of at their peak as clones and you know these were like the the top elite soldiers and now they've been replaced by stormtroopers and they're kind of you know struggling to get by um and not necessarily in hiding but you know like they've they've been replaced and they're you know also kind of in a dark place so um but yeah i thought it was it was really great to see that i mean once uh like you hear the voice saying, you know, spare any credits or whatever. But like, I didn't realize it was Tamara Morrison at first. And you just kind of see the clone from the back and like hold up the helmet. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's a clone trooper. Um, yep. <laughs> so Pretty yeah, that, my was, reaction too. <laughs> that was a really cool reveal. And I was like, we've all been, you know, talking about and speculating, like, could we maybe see him come back as Rex in the Ahsoka series or something like that? But like, I was not expecting to see him in this one. So um but hopefully we see him as more clones going forward. I mean, now that he's back playing Boba Fett and stuff and they've got all these shows in production around the same time, he could easily pop in and out of different things. So exactly. Um, yeah, that was I just, I just like to see that because like as you said, he's filming stuff for a book of Boba Fett. They're all kind of these shows are in production, kind of close together. So just bring him in for a scene or two as like a quick appearance as a clone trooper here and there. I mean, why not? Just make the use of him while he's available right now back and doing star wars i was really happy to see that even though it's a really small part but just seeing that he's being used just more than boba fett as a clone trooper as well i just it was just really cool yeah i also like seeing too the uh the girl that comes up and like offers him the spice which was you know it, it was a cool kind of parallel because like you know they have this conversation that's kind of like depressing where he's talking about like hey i'm you know i'm looking for my daughter which is like his cover story for leia um, and she's like, oh, you know, everybody like she's probably long gone by now. Like, you know, nobody escapes from this place. Like I was somebody's daughter once, too. But that's actually you and McGregor's daughter that was playing that character. Um, so I was just a fun little, you know, behind the scenes thing for the two of them to be able to do that. And it's funny because it like in an interview for this show, you and uh, did, I think, sort of unofficially confirm that um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who he's I think married to now uh is going to be in the ahsoka series like we had heard that either rumored or i think it might have been reported by like hollywood reporter or something but we had yeah. that like officially confirmed by lucasfilm but he was like oh yep she's in it too and so you know we're just this big star wars family now um so i'm sure it was fun for him to get to like have his daughter in there too um but of course she gives him a, a free jar of spice that comes in handy later um but we can kind of we'll get through this episode a little bit quicker because I know we're already like closing in on on two hours and we've still got Vader to talk about. Um, but, you know, this was, you know, like for this episode, I really just kind of like the vibe of this planet, you know, the mm -hmm. the sort of yeah. cat and mouse game of like Reva trying to catch them um, 
you know, through the city and, uh, you know, Obi-Wan tracks down the bounty hunters. He gets Leia back. Um, I love the little parallel, like where he's fighting the uh, the bounty hunters, like in that hallway before he goes and rescues Leia from her cell. And there's the one dude that's like the Zabrak with the horns and Obi-Wan punches him in the head yeah. and like hurts his hand just like he, when he kicked Grievous. Yeah. Um, I was like, man, you got to learn to stop doing that. But maybe, you know, he spent all his time training with his lightsaber and wasn't too skilled in hand to hand combat. But um, that was a fun little uh, kind of throwback there. Yeah. And I agree. Just this episode. Um, it looked cool visually for the location, but I mean, the crux of what I think makes this episode so great is just the dynamic that we get introduced to between Obi-Wan and Leia here and just how great it was and just how, I just think they had immediate chemistry, just the young actress. Yeah. So, uh, Vivian's their first name, sorry, I'm blanking on her, yeah. her last name, but just how great a chemistry she had with, Ob with Ewan McGregor here as Leia and Obi-Wan just right off the get-go and just Obi-Wan kind of having that, annoyance with her at first a little bit but at the same time realizing not just how important she is but i just think how just what a good person she is already as a little kid and just how as we get later on how she is a reminder of padme for him and you just kind of see him not necessarily open up to her but just kind of warm up to you're not necessarily only focusing on the mission and trying to get her out but kind of being there to help her when she needs comfort and just uh, just more than just initial job that he had to do to rescue and get her out. But you could see a bond forming between the two of them. It was just so great to see over the course of this episode. And that's what I think makes this so great. And while I just really loved the premiere of these first two episodes, because I felt episode one well, did a great job of showing the status of Obi-Wan's life on Tatooine, something we were all expecting to see and what that was like. But then it just gets thrown into a whole nother direction that, I was not expecting, and it was just better than anything I could have imagined it being as far as um, what the crux of the story was going to be and the characters Obi-Wan would be mainly interacting with here, and that being, of course, um, Leia as the 10-year-old girl here, and it just worked beautifully. Like I said, their chemistry was just on point, and it gets even better, as you alluded to, Paul, in every time <laughs> the further it goes along in the next episode as well. This is just a great jumping-off point. Uh, between the relationship that these two characters are building here. It was just so well done. Yeah, and I love seeing those little moments too of him like softening up to her, like when, yeah. um, oh, and we didn't even talk about like her little droid Lola. That's, you know, of course, a, a cute new droid that's going to sell a bunch of toys. Um, oh, yes. But like when she was in the cell and she'd been captured, the bounty hunters, you know, took her droid and like, you know, ripped it apart. And so um, when they're escaping, like she's holding it and Obi-Wan's like, is that thing going to make noise? And she's like, no, it can't make noise. It's broken. He's like, OK, good. Like, yeah. and doesn't <laughs> notice that, you know, she's like sad about it. And he's, you know, he's just like laser focused on the mission and thinking logically. And then he kind of stops and sits down next to her and he's like, you know, what's your droid's name? And, you know, kind of takes care of her and, and softens up to her a little bit. And so I, I like seeing that kind of bond form between them. And then in the next episode, he actually fixes the droid for her. And so it kind of goes from this almost reluctant, like, I don't really care about you. I'm just here to get you home safe. Like, I only care about the mission. You know, I'm not here for you as a person to like them actually developing kind of a, a personal bond between the two of them. And I think that's just going to, you know, continue to grow over the next couple episodes. Um, but yeah, that's been a really fun dynamic to watch. Yeah, I think this episode, it's there's a couple things um, you could you could really focus on and talk a lot about. But for the most part, it's pretty much cut and dry. Just, you know, Kenobi trying to find, you know, her in this, you know, in this world and and 
the the standout things for me were, you know, um, I forgot his what's the what's the fake Jedi's name again? Aja. Aja. I I didn't I didn't know how well I would like that you know how that was gonna work but I, every time I watch it I laugh out loud so I mean yeah. it, it it's perfect uh, yeah, as great. far as that goes um you know again continuing we already talked a lot about you know Obi Wan Kenobi and, and her relationship and how that's been you know pr- pretty well uh, pretty well done the one thing I will say I, I liked a lot about this episode was just like seeing all uh, Easter egg things like the Forlom droid, which I'm not sure if that's Forlom or not. Um, no, because it gets it gets destroyed at the end. Yeah, but Forlom gets destroyed in other comics too. So I don't know, but, but whatever, right? Like it, doesn't it looks pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but either way, I, I if it was Forlom, I was missing the rifle. I also love like the alligator alien that we got. Dude, I uh, love like the dinosaur that alligator. thing. Yeah. Okay, because. I'm just gonna be real here. It's I both I, I like it ironically because it looks terrible, kind of, but also a good kind of terrible. Yeah. But like, but it also reminds me of of Super Mario World, the movie for some reason. <laughs> so I'm like, too. yeah, there's something very like it's just something looks it looks so fake bad in the best way possible. Like, yeah, yeah, in like, in the best way because it looks like the kind of thing that you could tell me like, oh, he's like real quick in the background of a shot in the Moss Eisley Cantina exactly, and I would just be yeah. like, what? Oh, I never noticed that before, but like I would believe it. Like it's it's got no, that yeah, kind of yeah, vibe. Yeah. And it's funny because like like I feel like on this planet especially there were a lot of cool new like alien designs that like it just felt very like well populated and I didn't feel like like, I know with the sequel trilogy, they also came up with a lot of alien designs. And people were like, oh, come on. I just want to see, like, one Rodian or Twi'lek. Like, just, you know, show us something familiar. It doesn't have to be all new stuff. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this, I mean, for the most part, I don't remember seeing any really, like, familiar aliens that we've seen before in here. It was a lot of new ones, but they all felt, like I said, they, they had a very, like, classic Star Wars feel. Like, I didn't feel like I was missing anything. I was, and I guess we did see a Zabrak, and I, I feel like there might have been a Rodian in there somewhere. But with all these new ones floating around, it didn't feel like, oh man, you know, these are too weird, or just give me, you know, the classic Star Wars aliens back. I was like, like I said, these all just felt like they could have, you know, been on the cutting room floor from the Moss Eisley Cantina. So I thought it was great. Yeah. And that dinosaur that? one in particular, like I love that. I, 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 want, yeah. I want his action figure. No, I want his. I want. I want his species to show up again because it, it was when he when he bit the dust. I was bumming. Yeah. yeah. Also, <laughs> oh yellow ye- yellow blaster bolts. Thought that was interesting. Oh yeah. Oh, I, honestly, I didn't realize that. But <laughs> I'm watching the episode right now. I just okay. saw it. So, yeah. <laughs> nice. But um, yeah, so you know there was some fun chase sequences you know some some great interaction between uh obi-wan and leia um but then of course you know the you get the uh sort of the the big finale showdown where like reva's coming there um trying to track down obi-wan like the bounty hunters draw him out just like she she kind of intended um but then like the grand inquisitor and the fifth brother and the other ones also show up and, uh, you know, they're trying to get to Obi-Wan first and the Grand Inquisitor's like, uh, you know, I'm not going to let Reva mess this up and keep letting Obi-Wan get away. Like, I'm going to, you know, I got to handle this myself and kind of put her in her place. And so um, they get to him kind of at the same time. But before that, I mean, I, I love the scene just as Obi-Wan and uh, Leia are like walking into that warehouse or whatever where they're trying to get the transport ship from. And uh, he starts talking to her about Padme. Of course, he doesn't tell her that it's Padme, but, you know, he's just, Leia's going off and, you know, 
being all precocious and whatever. And he's like, you know, you, you remind me of my friend and, uh, you know, she was brave and, and, you know, she was a leader and a hero and, uh, you know, she died a long time ago and, and all that. And, uh, and Leia is just kind of like, oh, you know, I'm sorry, like your friend died and, you know, she has no idea who he's talking about, but just, you know, watching that yeah, sort at of the same time, she senses he's hiding something more, though, as she says in yeah. later episodes. Or it's like, well, she also, I mean, he's hiding a lot from her, right? Like, he's yeah. hiding the fact that she's Darth Vader's kid. He's hiding the fact <laughs> yeah. that, you know, like, her, she's got a twin brother that's on Tatooine that he's trying to raise to be a Jedi. Like, there's a lot that she doesn't know. And so I don't think it's necessarily just that he knows her mother. No, I just like um, the idea that she's, you know, she's smart enough to know that he's not being totally honest and she can sense that there's something more to him than just being a friend of her father and trying to rescue her yeah and she definitely like especially in the next episode when he talks more about that when like he's making up the story to the stormtroopers and she's like you knew my mother didn't you um and he kind of tries to brush it off he's like oh it was just a story but like yeah you can i mean i love that even as the audience we can tell like as he's um well yeah definitely in the next episode when he's like making up that story it's like no that's coming from the heart though like he's he's telling a hundred percent truth right there talking about how like oh sometimes when i look at her i see her mother's face um so yeah i mean just another you know sort of sweet aspect to their relationship and it's almost like this show in a way has been kind of like a a touching tribute to padme that i didn't Mm -hmm. think we would get to just you know seeing Seeing Obi Wan see Padme in Leia is, uh, you know, it's just really sweet. Yeah, just another added layer to what makes this so great and special. I think we're getting to see Leia at this young age be with Obi Wan. Like you said, just uh, we're just getting into the mindset of Obi Wan too and what he's feeling and thinking seeing Leia for the first time in ten years because obviously he's been keeping tabs on Luke, but just seeing how much Leia has grown here in the ten years and just how much already he's reminding or she's reminding him of Padme was just in this how that brought a smile to his face and just taking him back to kind of better times as he probably can't help but think about in this situation that he's in as he's trying to rescue her and in this that emotional state he in as just as a Jedi trying to move away from that and let this be a different person than when he was as we talked about in the first episode just being a totally different state of mind but yet um slowly we're surely or slowly but surely we're seeing him realize that he's gonna have to come back to how he was as the Jedi. We saw him in the prequel trilogy and the Clone Wars. I think this is kind of just another step towards that as Leia being that reminder of how, of Padme and how things were back then for him. So just again, another great added layer to this series that I wasn't expecting. I know I've been saying that a lot, but it's just true about it. Just what I, why I love it so much. Just the stuff that you're not expecting to get in the series, but it's better than what you were hoping for. And just little things like that over the course of this episode that we saw with this adventure that Obi-Wan got to take on with Leia just really mm-hmm. drives home that point for me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> um, but yeah, so then of course, uh, Reva catches up with them as they're trying to take this, uh, you know, this transport to get out of there. And, uh, you know, Obi-Wan like tells Leia to go ahead, get on the ship. And like, he's hiding in the warehouse, you know, waiting for like maybe to confront Reva or whatever. Um, and she's telling him like, you know, oh, don't worry, like you're not gonna die yet. I'm just gonna bring you to him and Lord Vader will be pleased. And it's the first time that Obi-Wan mm. has heard that that name since episode three. And you just see that sort of terror dawning on his face and Reva going, oh, you didn't know, Anakin's alive. And, and again, this was where I had the big question of like, wait, hang on, how does she know that Vader is Anakin? Um, 
And again, I wonder if like, did just all the Inquisitors know this? Or, you know, when she was digging around in the archives and found that connection between uh, Obi-Wan and Bale, like, has she just been doing a bunch of research and maybe she found out enough to kind of put the pieces together that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what the official story is that Anakin Skywalker just died in Order 66 or something, but like, maybe she realizes, oh, they never found a body or some of this was covered up and like Anakin disappeared and then this Vader guy shows up, like, I bet they're the same person. Um, so I wonder if that's going to be more significant and if we're going to kind of find out more about that later. But, you know, again, just hearing her before she even mentions Anakin, like just saying like, you know, Lord Vader and, and Obi-Wan realizing like, oh shoot, I know who that is. Because even in episode three, like he and Yoda found out, like they watched the holograms and, um, and you know, they saw Sidious say, you know, rise Lord Vader. So they, he knows who Darth Vader is. And he's like, he didn't obviously didn't know up until this point, um, that he had survived. I mean, obviously he walked away from him on Mustafar still alive, but you know, I, I think, I don't know, at least the way I see it, like, I still kind of go a lot by, like, the, the Revenge of the Sith novelization where, um, you know, Obi-Wan's having this internal struggle of, like, do I spare Anakin because I still care about him or do I kill him because he's evil and I need to sort of, you know, rid this threat from the galaxy? And then he sees, like, Palpatine's shuttle coming and he's like, oh, you know, if I if I take time to, like, go down there to the lava bank and, and try to finish off Anakin, like, I could get hurt, too, or it could take more time and Palpatine could come find me, so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get out of here. But it, there's a line that always kind of, like, resonated with me where it says, like, Obi-Wan Kenobi did what he always did, which is he left it to the will of the Force. And mm. so I think to this point, he has kind of probably just not spent a lot of time dwelling on Anakin like he's obviously spent a lot of time dwelling on what happened and and you know his guilt and you know his perceived failure to train Anakin and stop him from falling to the dark side and all that but I don't know that he maybe obsesses over like whether Anakin is still alive or is still out there maybe that's like a fear in the back of his mind that he just like didn't want to think about and maybe that's why this is so terrifying for him but I also think that like even if he thought that Anakin was alive somehow, he would, he probably thought like, man, I cut off all his limbs and watched him get burned to a crisp. Like if he's still alive, he's probably barely alive. And he probably wouldn't expect him to be back out there, like fully active as a Sith Lord hunting down Jedi. And so, you know, now knowing that not only did he survive, but like he's alive and well and coming after me, that's gotta be a terrifying feeling to realize that for the first time. And I mean, you and McGregor played that perfectly. You could see the terror on his yeah. face. Um, and seeing, you know, just to, to cut from that to, uh, you know, seeing Vader's face in the, the back to tank or where, wherever he was at, um, was just a, a chilling way to end that episode and, you know, kind of leave us hanging, waiting to see what was going to happen next between the two of them for episode three. That whole sequence was done so perfectly and going into the series, this is one of the moments I was hoping we'd get to see when Obi-Wan realizes that Anakin is alive mm -hmm. and just what his reaction would be. And boy, did it not disappoint because I just said, Kyle, Ewan McGregor just nailed it perfectly. He didn't say a word, but yet the emotion on his face, the shock of horror, like you mentioned, and even regret too, was just so well done. And just, can you just imagine what Obi-Wan's going through there? Realizing as for everything you just said, Kyle, and I just imagine that too, he really sensed that, 
has that feeling of failure as a Jedi. And I think this just adds that a whole nother big layer to that. Like he even failed in his mission to kill Anakin and now he's still alive. So he couldn't even complete that part of his mission, which he thought he did succeed. And obviously he still felt guilty about failing Anakin as, as a Jedi and, and having to do that and kill him. But the fact that he didn't kill him and that he failed in that mission too, that Yoda set him out to do, it's just, the emotion that Obi-Wan's going through right there. He, he's with his daughter. He finds out Anakin's still alive and he's hunting. It's just <laughs> a lot to take in at that moment. And Ewan McGregor just really nailed his reaction to that. And I just like, too, um, how Reva was, is in this moment, too, just really kind of playing off Obi-Wan's fear, just kind of like taunting him. It was like that, Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan, oh, you didn't realize he was alive? And just sensing that fear and just really clinging to that and just making trying to draw him out because of that but um i I was really curious to see too what obi-wan's reaction would be if the grand inquisitor didn't show up because he was just not since like in the mental state to really do anything there and i wonder because we saw how what happens when he we'll, we'll talk about the next episode when he has to ignite that lightsaber but i did like how he didn't ignite it here it just it had to be a moment i think saved for vader and i'm glad that was the case but just man everything that uh, Obi-Wan just had to go through in this short amount of time. It was just great to finally see on screen. And for me, it it did not disappoint. It just capturing what a big shocking moment it had to be for Obi-Wan to find that out and just uh, what it leads to later on. So, yeah, it was something I was really hoping to see in this series. Uh, we got to see it, and it really delivered on that emotional impact of seeing Obi-Wan learn that for the first time, that Anakin is alive. And talk about great directing and editing to conclude this two episode premiere you could have ended on a better way that makes you both happy but yet super bummed that you have to wait a whole nother week to see <laughs> to see the next episode because the mm -hmm. way it just focuses on obi-wan's face and he just says the word anakin and it immediately cuts to vader in the back to tank and we see his face full on here it's not like in yeah. rogue one where it's from the side it cuts away before the water drains down and we see his face no we're seeing hayden christensen's face as vader with the tube in the back to tank tube, with the mask on, the breathing, it was just great. It was just a perfect way to end this premiere. Or I know it's the second episode, but I just like how it was a great move to show the first two because it was just a oh, great yeah. way to introduce all, like put all the pieces on the table in these first two episodes. Just seen Obi Wan, Leia, and now Vader in the final moments of the second episode. It was just a great way to give that to us fans who were just eagerly anticipating this series and knowing what was going to be involved in the series, what characters were going to be in it. We got all that stuff laid out for us in the first two episodes, and it was just a brilliant way to kick it off. And in regards to the ending of it, a great way to conclude it and just get you really pumped as a Star Wars fan to know what's going to come next in this series. It was just great yeah. all the way around. Yeah, I I, I did like the confirmation that he, di he didn't know he was alive. And I, I, I think that makes the most sense, to be mm -hmm. honest. And and I think that they handled it pretty well. And I, I liked how, again, Ewan, that's the, the benefit of, of casting a phenomenal actor like Ewan McGregor is that, you know, in the future, you don't you don't really, really realize you'll need it to, you know, to have these moments. But, yeah, we got to see this moment and got to see Ewan kind of pretty much do the way he thought needed to be done. And, and I think I, that's one of the things I'll, I'll add to this here is that, uh, you know, a lot, Ewan and, and Hayden too, 
they're basically doing, you know, things that maybe George necessarily didn't want them to do. And they get now, especially Ewing as an executive producer, you know, only pretty much probably wanting to do what he wants to do. You know, obviously he's a team player and I think he's an, you know, people like him. So he's not, he's, a, he's just being a tyrant, you know, do what I want. But the fact that he's an executive producer, they're all going to do things and perform a certain way that they all probably envisioned themselves initially signing on to this, you know, 20 some odd years ago or whatever. And I think that's something that you shouldn't be lost on everyone. That the fact that, that both Ewan and, uh, and Hayden are now getting to perform things that they always wanted to do that George didn't necessarily have them do, which I think was a benefit. But at this time they get to find kind of live out their dreams of what they initially wanted to do, um, perform their characters as uh, what they, what they had thought they were signing up for essentially. So mm -hmm. I, I think seeing this performance, seeing this reaction is kind of Ewan's way of always wanting to do it the way he wants in some ways. Does that make any sense? Like I get to yeah. perform this the way I always thought the character should. Because it's funny you say that Paul, because I forget if it was in the making of episode three book, if I read it in an interview somewhere, but just how Ewan really wanted to nail the immolation scene on Mustafar where Anakin's burning up and he gives that speech of you were the chosen one. Just getting mm -hmm. the right emotion of Obi-Wan losing his brother Anakin there. And I remember him saying like he was talking with George while he wanted to do it several times, even when George might have felt he had it right or maybe not quite right, but just really wanting to nail that. And that just, I think, goes into what you were saying was Ewan really wanting to do what he wants to or what he wants to bring to this portrayal of Obi-Wan in this performance was on full display right here. Cause it ha does have that same feel of emotion that Obi-Wan's going through in that moment in Revenge of the Sith, um, leading up to that moment here where he finds out Anakin is still alive. Just a very powerful and emotional moment for the character that was brought out in both scenes by a great performance from Ewan McGregor. So I just kind of made me remind that when you said Ewan doing what he really wanted to do, because he realized how important that moment was for Obi-Wan in episode three. I think he realized what a big moment this is for Obi-Wan uh, 10 years later, finding out that Anakin is still alive. Yeah, definitely. Um, but then, of course, before we get into the next episode, the one other aspect of this big final confrontation that we haven't even talked about is the Grand Inquisitor showing up. Uh, telling, oh, yeah. <laughs> telling Reva, hey, step aside, you know, and Reva's like, but Kenobi's right here. I've got him. And he's like, yeah, but I'm not going to let him get away from you again. Like, I'm going to take care of this, you know, basically, you know, step back and, and watch how it's done, you know, get in your place. And uh, she turns and stabs him right through with her lightsaber, which just floored me the first time I saw it. I was I was even expecting the two of them to maybe have a lightsaber duel right there. Um or obviously have have some kind of confrontation like you know Reva's not going to go quietly and I was like all right how's this going to play out and she just turns and stabs him and I was shocked because that certainly looked like a death but obviously those of us who've watched Rebels know that you know that takes place another five or so years after this in the timeline and the Grand Inquisitor is alive and well so it was like you know immediately there were a lot of questions and a lot of you know a lot of questions online and stuff about like is he actually dead is he just going to survive his injuries somehow um, are they going to kill him off and like, you know, is there going to be a clone or something, or is this somehow not the same grand inquisitor that was in rebels? Um, but I, I did see a, an interview with, um, Joby Harold, who's like the lead writer on the show and just like an excerpt from it that was going around online where he said, like they asked him about the grand inquisitor's death. And he said like, I'm not going to say anything except for the fact that like, 
you know, canon is super important and we would never do anything that like disrespects and goes against the canon or, or you know, like retcons anything. Um, he was like, that's all I'm going to say. So, I mean, to me, that's pretty much confirmation. That, like the Inquisitor's not dead. He's going to survive somehow or somehow, you know, make some kind of recovery. I mean, we've seen people survive worse, especially dark side users. You know, Darth Maul was missing his whole lower half and survived for 10 years. Um, and even most recently, we saw Fennec Shand survive a, what looked like a fatal blaster shot in pretty much the same area that the Grand Inquisitor got stabbed. So yeah. um, he could make some kind of recovery. I'm looking forward to that going forward and seeing like what the what the resolution of that is going to be because then of course going into the next episode you've got sort of this power vacuum and like reva and the fifth brother kind of competing for who's going to be the next grand inquisitor so i'm looking forward to that moment where he just comes back and i hope it's not like the end of the series he's still just like in a back to tank and it's like the grand inquisitor will eventually return like no i want to see him come back in this series and see everybody fighting for his spot and be like uh guys i'm not dead yet and uh you know, maybe they all have a big showdown or something. I would love to see a lightsaber duel between Reva and at least one of the other Inquisitors. I think we're going to get something like that. Like, they're not yeah, all going to be... <laughs> yeah, they're not all just going to be singing Kumbaya by the end of the show, so... I think, personally, I think what's going to happen is that they need to establish um, for the show that Reva is fighting for, for placement, and they needed to have a reason for... Um, for that and without killing the grand inquisitor so but they needed to establish there's a there's a high seat that she tries to she wants to take it and you need to and you needed to do it without killing him and also establishing the fact that like where her fate is um and i think obviously it's gonna be tied i think the grand inquisitor and her are gonna go at it and i think it's gonna be him killing her probably and so yeah. uh if not I beater do, killing her but right but the reason why I think you need to do that, and the, but then also get the Grand Grand Inquisitor out of the way ASAP. So if that makes any sense. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're right. Like, I think just for the sake of kind of the to continue building on this sort of drama and tension between the Inquisitors to have her take him out. And then again, be kind of this struggle for, OK, who's going to get to take his spot and who's going to get Lord Vader's favor and who's going to get to be the next Grand Inquisitor, um, I think is an interesting you know story to play with on its own but then again knowing that he can't be dead because he has to come back later i think it would just be fun to throw a twist in that where we get to episode like five or six and you think like or you know like reva thinks she's climbed her way to the top like obviously she can't kill the fifth brother either but like maybe she does somehow capture obi-wan and like and vader appoints her as grand inquisitor and then the grand inquisitor comes back um but then that would kind of beg the question of like if he if, like if he survives like where is he like who would be the one healing him because you would think that vader at the top like if anybody it would maybe be him that knows that the grand inquisitor is still alive um but who knows i don't know things are going to get very hairy and very backstabby among the inquisitors over the last few episodes um but i'm looking forward to seeing how all that plays out but it was just a big big shocking twist to have her kill him because again or not kill him but stab him um, cause again, you know, he's one of those characters that you're thinking, oh, he shows up in a later story. So he's safe. And this was like, well, he's not dead, but he definitely was not safe. So there was, uh, you know, I, I applaud them for having the guts to, you know, play with that twist. I actually think it's going to lead into a little bit of his, or adds to his line at the end of rebels for his, um, 
kind of death in that series too, where he says there are far uh, things that are worse than death, as he says to Kane, and almost like he's experienced death before or something close to it, and maybe just uh, for whatever reason Vader, because even in, later on in the comics we've seen that the was that Star Wars issue where Luke visits the uh, one a Jedi temple from the High Republic and the Grand Inquisitor yeah. is there like a fiery ghost, not necessarily a ghost form, but he wasn't dead yet <laughs> type of scenario. So it's almost like there's something about him where he can't like Vader likes to torture him and keep him alive um, just barely to have him. And I think maybe this is the first instance of that where Vader feels like that maybe he was close to death here, but um, the Inquisitors bring him back. Vader is able to keep him alive for whatever purposes that he feels that, that the Grand Inquisitor serves as someone to keep alive. But because even um, again, don't want to jump too far ahead, but Vader quickly dismisses the fate of the Grand Inquisitor when Reva is about to say what happened. He, mm-hmm. She doesn't get to say he died. He just goes, the fate of the Grand Inquisitor doesn't concern me. It's almost like he knows the fate of the Grand Inquisitor already. He's fine. He has plans for him. He's not dead. Just to kind of sweep it under the rug type of thing, not to let his intentions of what to Reva know that the Grand Inquisitor is still alive. But uh, there's just something about where it seems like the Grand Inquisitor's fate is in death because <laughs> it doesn't yeah. seem to happen twice both here as we know he survives in rebels and even in rebels he shows up later again in uh, a star wars comic uh, but yeah it just seems like him Which, dying here i didn't know that and i don't like that like just leave him dead he exploded in a freaking star destroyer but that's beside the point yeah so i forget because i forget the, how that story played out because it's not like his physical body it's almost it is like a fiery specter type thing but at the it's, same time you know yeah, it's it's listen, it's I think it ties back to the idea that the dark side is they're they're because they're trying to be live forever and live as long as they can, their spirits are tied to in like physical, physical like, yeah, physical things. Yeah. That's that's what it is essentially. What yeah. it's tied but to. But that's not I mean, that's not even the purpose of the Inquisitors, though. Like, they're not... Yeah. They, like, Vader and Palpatine and, like, the Sith Lords are all about trying to achieve immortality okay. and gain power. Really quick, the, really quick. But the lightsaber that like, Luke has in 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 the comic books right now at this point is actually the Inquisitor's old lightsaber. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Oh. Yeah. So that's why he's he's his spirit is tied to that. Because, and, and, like, but he's stuck there. It's like he, yeah. but he was stuck there at the time because... It's it because again I I don't we're gonna we're, we're, we got a lot to cover still in, in a short amount of time so I I just want to say really quick I agree I understand why you would think that but there is a running theme of of Sith being in spirits and being tied to physical objects we've got Amon um or, or whatever that character's name in Darth Rebel comic book series um, and Charles Soule has actually established that more so in his comic books. Um, Because he wrote that story with the Inquisitor as well, that Luke has a lightsaber, but he can't leave the premises. He's stuck. So it's not like he's like, can just roam around everywhere. It's like they're, they are stuck. They are tied to certain areas and they can't leave. Kind of like it kind of, and going back to the Rise of Skywalker, how the Emperor is kind of stuck in his spot too. He can't leave. I'm just saying like, I, I, I get that with Sith. I'm just, I don't know that I like that with like all the Inquisitors because they're not supposed to be on that same level of like dark side power. They're just kind of like Jedi hunters, but but they're not. That's, that's, that's what I'm saying. They're, they're not though. Like Like with the force their spirits live forever and they can kind of they are they are, but they are stuck like they're it's well, almost that's like a, but that's the same thing with sith lords too though like we've seen that with uh 
at least in the EU with other like, you know, Sith spirits that can appear like in their tombs and stuff, but they can't, you know, become one with the force or like wander the galaxy or whatever. But anyway, it's, that's a whole yeah. that's a whole other topic that we could do <laughs> yeah, about the yeah, EU yeah, yeah. and force ghosts and all that. But um, it just makes me think if there's Vader sees something in the Grand Inquisitor that he has to keep him alive in some shape or form, whether it's just to torment him for whatever reason. But um, yeah. I don't know. It's just interesting that this might be the first time where he should have been dead, but he was kept alive. Well, I also wonder if Reva might be keeping him alive. And mm, you like keeping him as a prisoner or maybe she's going to use him as some kind of bargaining chip or something. Because again, like nobody else was on the planet or like the other Inquisitors were on the planet. I guess Reva maybe could have called them and said that like, hey, Obi-Wan did it and, you know, gotten them all to to come and help him. Um, but yeah, because she she's starting to say to Vader something about, you know, the Grand Inquisitors and then, you know, she doesn't get to say death or whatever because Vader cuts her off. So like even in the show, it doesn't confirm what his fate is. Um, but yeah, I wonder if maybe she took the body and she's going to keep him alive and and try to hold him hostage or something like that. But um, regardless, it'll be interesting to see whatever his final fate ends up being. Like I said, I, one way or the other, I'm sure he's not dead, but I hope he pops up again in this show and uh, just turns up again to kind of throw a wrench in everything with the Inquisitors when everybody thinks he's dead and is trying to get his spot. Yeah. And a part of me thinks, too, like, we know he's alive. And if there's just already so much going on with Obi-Wan, Vader, Reva, Leia, like, even if they don't reveal that the Grand Inquisitor is alive in this series, it's not going to make me think, oh, is they actually dead? It's like, no, they'll just tell that story later on, whether it is in another series or a comic or a novel or something. We know he's still going to be alive, even regardless if they don't specifically say it in this show and to be honest it's not a huge deal if they do or they don't because there's just he's not the focal point of the story it's obi-wan vader leia and reva that's all it is to be concerned about but if he has to play another part in concluding some of those stories in the series then yeah bring him back but if not i don't think it's going to be um, a fault of the series if they don't acknowledge that he was still alive that'll be told later on yeah if need sure. be um so we move on from there into episode three um, and we start off right off the bat in the same spot with Obi-Wan on the ship with Leia. And he's once again, you know, sort of meditating and trying to reach out through the force to Qui-Gon. And he's saying like, help me master. And, you know, he's, he's trying to get guidance from Qui-Gon on what he should do because now he knows that Anakin's after him. And as we're seeing this, you know, it cuts to, uh, Anakin, you know, in his, his tank or whatever, um, and we see like just sort of the process of all the pieces of Vader getting put on him. Um, you know, from seeing just sort of like the the floating husk of a body that he's got left and seeing all the, you know, just the the burned skin, but even like holes where stuff gets plugged into. Yeah. Um, I mean, if it's really, you know, for the first time, I, I think for like this is the first time we've kind of seen the full extent of like what Obi-Wan's talking about when he says he's more machine than man. I was like, oh, he's right. Like, this is not just mechanical limbs and a, a breathing apparatus like he's there's probably a lot of machinery in there keeping this guy alive um but man it was just so cool to see you know that process of 
you know, Vader coming all together. And it was kind of interesting to see like at the end when the helmet slides down and it was like all in one piece where we've always kind of seen like the face plate first and then like the top of the helmet. Yeah, that's true. But I also did like seeing the whole helmet come down all at once just because you see Hayden Christensen's face right there. And it's like you mm -hmm. see Anakin's face and then you just see the whole thing disappear behind the face of Darth Vader. Um, it was just a really cool visual. And then you see him, you know, just disconnect from everything and, and just kind of stride off menacingly. And then, of course, we see that we're on Mustafar and we get to see Vader's castle again. And that was super cool. Um, and to see him sitting there talking to Reva and, you know, she's kind of giving him an update on saying that, you know, she's got a lead and she's going to bring in Obi-Wan and all this kind of stuff. And uh, first of all, it was great hearing James Earl Jones's voice again as Vader. And I was I was surprised at first because I was like, wow, not only is it James Earl Jones, but like he sounds even better than he did like in Rogue One. Like this just sounds like, um, you know, like original trilogy Vader. But I'm pretty sure they did that same uh, like AI processing technology that they did with Luke in The Mandalorian yeah, where his, his voice isn't actually, like it's not actually Mark Hamill performing those lines. It's an AI computer like, synthesizing the voice from like hours and hours of dialogue recordings of Mark Hamill, you know, from back in like the seventies and eighties. Um, and so this is probably the same thing with James Earl Jones. I would be really curious to know, like, did the, I, I'm sure they probably had the computer produce just James Earl Jones's voice. And then they did like the Darth Vader sound effect on top of it. But I want to know, like, did they do that? Or did they have the computer actually just generate the Darth Vader voice? And they, they did that from all of Vader's like dialogue in the OT or something like that. Um, but it's just crazy to see what they're able to do with this technology nowadays. Yeah. Um, it sounded great too. It yeah. Like it, either way, like it sounded fantastic and it was just great to, to see and hear Darth Vader again and be in his castle. And it was just, it was a great way to kick off the episode because even at the end of the last one, it was like, okay, now we know like Vader's in play and we knew we were going to see him in this show anyways, but just having sort of that initial, you know, connection where like, Obi-Wan finds out he's alive and then we just kind of see the brief glimpse of him there at the end and it was like okay how long now before he fully shows up I thought maybe he would like I thought we might see him again at the end of this episode um or see like some brief glimpses of him throughout the episode but to start out with this sequence and then for him to be you know as involved in this entire episode as he was I was not expecting that to happen this soon same but yeah I'm so glad it did though <laughs> and just visually seeing Vader again in his castle, but actually seeing him on his throne. I mean, it just mm -hmm. takes me back to the that early Ralph McQuarrie concept art, I believe, for Return of the Jedi, where Vader is on a throne on a lava planet. And to see that visually realized now, it didn't look quite the same, but still, it's Vader on a lava planet in a castle in his, on a throne. And it was just so cool to see that kind of be realized here. Um, and again, just getting more insight into or visually anyway, into Vader's castle. It's like kind of slowly we're getting, seeing more and more of the inside of Vader's castle from Rogue One and now in here and Obi-Wan just seeing his throne room and what that looked like. It was just such a trip and so cool to see Vader in that environment. I loved it. And again, um, what they're using for his voice sounded, sounded great. I mean, James Earl Jones just turned 90, so it's understandably so why he wouldn't necessarily sound the same as he did back when he did the original trilogy and even Revenge of the Sith. And you alluded to in Rogue One where you could tell he would, you could hear his age in that. But again, I think in Rebels, he sounded really great as well. 
Um, but but this one didn't skip a beat, and they're using that same technology for Luke. I think it sounds even better than what it did for Luke, and maybe it is because you know Vader goes the voice for Vader goes through a filter anyway, and that kind of helps yeah. with it. But it just sounded amazing. It was just so great to see Vader back on screen again this early on in the series because I said before, probably just a couple of episodes ago when we we're talking about it, how much Vader is going to be in it. I figured probably definitely the last episode, but maybe we'll get a tease and a reveal of him in the penultimate episode of the series. But nope, it's in the, it's in the third one. And as we'll get to later on, it was definitely the right decision uh, to have him be fully involved in the story this early on in the series. Yeah, there wasn't, I think this was the right move. And a couple of things I'll kind of add, I, I echo everything you're all saying. I was surprised how good it sounded. And because I, I, unlike you guys, I don't think he sounded that great in both Rebels and Rogue One, but you accept it because he's also super old. I mean, let's be real. I kind of think they haven't talked about this publicly yet because they're saving it for probably the the, the gallery episodes that are coming out mm. eventually. I my prediction is that this is all AI. To be quite honest. Oh yeah, uh, that's right. what we're saying. But what what I mean is like. It's he does he never recorded anything for this for this performance is what I'm yeah, saying yeah yeah no like, that's what I'm saying because that was the same oh, thing okay, with, okay. with Mark Hamill in the Mandalorian yeah I I think and I like you said too Tim and I, I I misunderstood I apologize but yeah I, I I'm with all you guys I think that it I think it sounds even better than Luke Skywalker because it's already through like modulators and things like that so I think this is how they're gonna do it for now on and you know I mean. It's going to be amazing. And you can always put James, you know, vo vocal done by James Earl Jones. Yeah. I mean, it's perfect. No, yeah, yeah, it's kind of it's sad to realize it's to say this, but, you know, eventually James Earl Jones will not be with us forever. Um, but to know that this technology is there and if, you know, his family approves all this to be used, that his performances as Vader will continue to live on for, for however long it needs to be in future appearances that Vader will have. And that's just kind of, a great feeling to have and knowing that he'll always be Darth Vader forever um, and new performances and stories that could be told with his performance being involved with it. And that's just great. Cause like, as we all talked about, it sounded pretty much pitch perfect <laughs> hearing every bit of dialogue that Vader had in this episode. Yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's cool to start out with that and see him again. And then we go to, uh, you know, Obi-Wan and Leia and, you know, they're still on their transport ship and it goes to, Whatever I forget the name of the planet that that was, um, you know, it was basically just the next stop on their their cargo route. It was like pre-planned, um, but they show up on this kind of another desert planet, but a more sort of uh, Southern California looking desert planet with a lot of, you know, just bushes and stuff, um, you know, still had a very different vibe from Tatooine. I don't know about you guys. But the the music that was playing when they got to this planet, it's it, it just kind of reminded me of Clone Wars, how like every like especially in the early seasons, like every different planet that they would go to kind of had its own sort of like ethnic flavor to the music for that planet. And so just the music that started playing when they got here and knowing that like this is Obi-Wan and he's going on the run and looking for allies. I was like, is this Florum? Like, are they going to find Hondo? Hmm. Um, <laughs> That'd be amazing. Yeah, and then, you know, we quickly see that it's not. But I was like, I'm still waiting for Hondo to show up in live action in one of Can these I, shows. I'm gonna, I'm gonna complain about a couple things here. Not even a couple things. I'm gonna complain. About one of my biggest complaints um, of the show, and I, I, I feel bad because I feel like 
I, I always isolated with this one. I'm very curious to you specifically, Tim, what you'll think about this. The music, I feel, is so inconsistent to borderline mediocre that it bothers me. Like, this episode was probably her best episode of, of composing. Um, I just, I just, for, I didn't like her, her, um, her score for Loki and everyone praised it. And I'm like, am I like the only one who didn't love the score? I think it's pretty whatever. And I just think it's, it's kind of echoing. Like, I mean, again, this episode was better. I thought that the ending was pretty good to be honest. Um, the music wise with Darth Vader, but I have not loved the music for this series. And um, again, this episode has been good. Maybe this will be better from here on out, but for the most part, I'm like, it's pretty average if not mediocre. So yeah, I, I was kind of like you, it doesn't feel, it felt like Clone Wars was Clone Wars wasn't bad, but it hasn't been epic. Like Ludwig is just like, he brought a whole different element to Star Wars music. And I feel yeah. like he's the, the heir, him and Giacchino uh, are just perfect Star Wars replacements for J John Williams. And, and yeah, everyone else has been okay. You know, not, Book of Boba Fett's been solid, I thought. Um, but yeah, I think Natalie Holt has not impressed me in Loki or this so far. For the, as of right now, maybe she'll blow me away after this episode. Because this episode was her best, I think, of the whole series. But yeah, not been impressed with the music. I'm going to disagree yeah, with you there. Because I, I don't remember much of the music for Loki. I, I do remember, I think I remember liking the music as I was watching the show. But it didn't stick out as like super memorable um, but I'm really enjoying what she's doing so far with this show. And again, there's not really any particular, like, you know, big themes or anything that are like jumping out as like, you know, Star Wars tracks that are going to be super memorable going forward. Like Ludwig's theme for the Mandalorian is like, I mean, they really struck gold with having that guy score that series. Um, and I don't like, so far I haven't enjoyed this score as much as like the Mandalorian soundtracks, but, um, yeah, I've thought that, like, just watching it again today, I was thinking, like, I think the music just perfectly complements all the scenes that it's in. And especially in this episode, it's funny because I've heard a lot of, I mean, I've heard a lot of nitpicks about this episode, like, ranging from minor nitpicks to, like, major complaints for some reason about this episode where I'm like, am I watching the same episode you guys did? Um, <laughs> right. I, I have, there's a couple things I could nitpick about it. Um, a, a couple of weird editing choices, especially in that final confrontation with Vader, where Obi-Wan like runs off screen in one direction and then it looks like he runs back in from the same place he just ran off to. Um, but aside from a few minor like technical things, I mean, one thing that I hear people complain about a lot is they're like, oh man, they're not using as much of the, you know, they're not using enough of the classic Star Wars music as they should be. And Vader shows up, you know, you need to use the Imperial March. And I'm like, there's a, a time and a place for that. And I do hope that we hear maybe some familiar themes and especially with Vader and the Empire, like if they if they use a little bit of the Imperial March, like before the end of the show, I think you could work that in and I think it would be good. But for this specific confrontation right here with Obi-Wan, I loved the score that she did for this um, and the the music that plays that's like, I don't know if it's if this is going to be a new sort of like Anakin Vader kind of theme. Um but I can't wait till the soundtrack is released so I can listen to this again because it's so like, like, yeah, it's not the Imperial March, but it's more kind of haunting. And like, it doesn't fit the Vader that we know from Empire Strikes Back, but it fits it fits the theme of Obi-Wan confronting Anakin as Vader for the first time. Like, I thought it just fits so well. Um, 
so yeah, there's maybe not a lot of like big standout, you know, scores or, you know, anything on the level of like Duel of the Fates or anything like that. But I think the music has been just consistent and like appropriate and and complemented well all of the the scenes that she scored for it so far. Um, the other thing I will say, my big hope, and again, I know we're, we're kind of jumping around here, but we'll, I mean, there's a lot to kind of talk about with this episode that we might be kind of all over the place. But like, yes, we get a, a confrontation between Obi-Wan and Vader at the end of this episode, much sooner than I'm sure any of us were expecting. Because like you said, Tim, like I was expecting Vader to maybe show up a little bit earlier, just so we kind of get teases of him throughout the series. But I was not expecting him to cross blades with Obi-Wan until episode five or six. Um, but of course, at this point, Obi-Wan is still like, yeah, I mean, we didn't even talk about the moment in the last episode where he saves Leia and uses the force for the first time. Like he hasn't used the force in 10 years. He hasn't ignited his lightsaber in 10 years. So of course he wasn't going to hold his own against Vader right here. And, uh, you know, Vader kind of wipes the floor with him. He manages to escape. Um, and I think, yeah, over the next couple episodes, we're going to see him kind of have to pick himself up, maybe get some guidance from Qui-Gon, um, maybe get some help from some other allies and we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Cause there's one other thing that I think would be really cool to see, but um, I think they're going to, you know, there's clearly going to be another confrontation between the two that I think is going to be a much more epic and evenly matched and longer fight. And for that, I really hope that there's like a standout piece of music that goes along with it. Because the one thing that I think we've been missing from Disney star Wars so far, or at least one thing uh, specifically that I really would love to see that we haven't gotten yet is, you know, for all of the the five movies that we've gotten and now with the TV series and stuff, there's no like, and, and this is especially something I felt like was missing from the sequel trilogy with all the lightsaber duels that we had between like Rey and Kylo Ren and stuff. There was no like epic soundtrack, like something on the level of like Duel of the Fates or Battle of the Heroes to accompany like those just epic lightsaber duels. And so what better time to finally give us something like that than a, a showdown between Obi-Wan and Vader again. Um, so I really hope that when that moment comes that she knocks it out of the park with the music, but I think she's been doing a great job so far. Yeah, for me, it's like the music, nothing's really stood out to me for the most part. So I guess you can kind of chalk it up as kind of a bad thing if none of the pieces really stood out to me. I, I do agree that this was probably the best one, especially the Vader-Obi-Wan confrontation, confrontation. The music, I felt that... Uh, pretty perfectly with that, despite not having any of the classic things play out on that one, which I think kind of what you were saying, Kyle, it might be if we are going to get some classic themes played, whether it's Duel of Fates, Battle of the Heroes, the Imperial March, it's going to be safe for that final big battle between Vader and Obi-Wan. So um, maybe they're just saving it for there for that big moment. But but I agree the music's just kind of been been there, not necessarily good or bad, but um, nothing really too memorable. Um, just right off the bat. And even with John Williams theme for Obi-Wan, it's a good theme. I'll never knock John Williams, but um, I don't even think the main theme for Obi-Wan's on the same level as the Mandalorian or the book of Boba Fett, as far mm -hmm. as being uh, really Agreed. something different and unique that really stick with you. It's fine for what it is. It sounds like John Williams, but definitely not one of his most memorable pieces, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I'll agree with you on that. And like, again, I like how it's used in the show, but then like, there's been already been several times since the show started that I've tried to kind of like hum the theme and like think of it, you know, just when I'm not watching it, but I'm thinking about the show and I was like, oh yeah, how's the theme go again? And I like, can't remember it. Um, or I'll yeah. get it or I'll get it confused <laughs> with like, I'll start trying to hum it and I'll get it confused with like themes from another show or something. 
Yeah, it feels very familiar, but at the same time, like not authentic enough. If that makes any sense. No, I hear you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. So 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 they go to that planet. Um, they're supposed to meet up with their contact or whatever who they don't see right away, and so they they uh, instead meet up with Freck, who's this you know imperial uh you know a good old imperial citizen who you know loves the empire and all the rides around right. and um and ends up turning them over to the empire but um gosh i loved again just the you know that was another scene um right there between obi-wan and leia when uh you know they're riding on the truck with the stormtroopers and kind of giving that cover story but that's when obi-wan you know he actually slips up and it's funny because he's he was trying to tell Leia, he's like, don't talk, you know, because he didn't trust her to like not give anything away or not blow their cover or whatever. But she's doing a great job of just playing along and, you know, making up the stories and stuff. And he's the one that accidentally slips and calls her Leia instead of like Luma, which was her her cover name. Um, and then the stormtroopers like, hey, what? He said Leia instead of Luma. That and was weird. I thought that was a little that was a little too over the top. Well, so see, I. I thought it worked because at first I was like, oh, shoot, do they know, like, do they know the name Leia? Like, are they on the lookout for her? Because, you know, she would be fairly well known as a, a senator's daughter well, I agree. and a princess. But, I but guess he just drops it. Well, but at the same time, you know, remember they also said that, like, uh, they've been keeping her hidden on Alderaan. Like, they don't let her off world because they don't want a lot of people to know about her. So I think that, I think they, they kind of pulled a bait and switch there because they want you to think initially that... It's like, oh, he said Leia, and you're like, oh, wait, shoot, they know who Leia is, and then the stormtrooper just goes, you said her name was New was was Luma, and so he's not calling him out because he knows the name Leia. He's just calling him out because he caught the inconsistency in his story, and is like, wait, are you hiding something? So it's not about yeah, what the action. Yeah. It's not about what the actual name is, and then I, that's. I, I and, thought, but I thought it just didn't. They made a big deal of him saying it, like of the stormtrooper himself. I thought they should have probably. It just. It, it just seemed like what, he didn't do anything afterwards. It just seemed a little bit far-fetched to me. I mean, I know, it, you know what I'm saying? You you write that in the story. It's like, come on. Like, it, it's just, it's too easy to be like, well, they're, they're cool with the, the response. It's like, really? Come on. That, that was the one of the nitpicks. One of the nitpicks. I don't know. I thought it was fine. Because, again, then you get the that nice moment where Obi-Wan's like, you know, oh, you know, that was her mother's name. And ever since her mother died, like I see so much of her in, in Luma and I, you know, I get confused and whatever. And again, that was, it was like just watching that you're going, Oh man, like he's not lying right here. Like, even though they're making up names and stuff, like he's talking about Padme and how much of her he sees in Leia. And uh, then of course, Leia picks up on that and she's like, you knew my mother, didn't you? Um, so that was a really, you know, a really touching scene between the two of them. And uh Again, like I, I'm surprised how much this show is kind of paying homage to Padme in ways that I didn't expect. But, you know, I love seeing it. That entire sequence is up there as one of the best in the series so far. Um, Even what we'll get to later with Obi-Wan and Vader. There was just something really special between that conversation Obi-Wan had with Leia there. Just yeah, talking about family. And just what I found really cool and fascinating that Obi-Wan opening up to her and revealing his family and... It's a little bit he remembers of his mother and father, but the big thing of that, he has a brother, and um, he he remembers just him as a baby. But the fact that we know in canon now that Obi Wan has a brother, I think is something that's fascinating. And I hope kind of gets explored 
later on, not necessarily where they have to come face to face with each other, which I think actually could be pretty make for an interesting story as well. But just to kind of get more insight on what Obi-Wan's family is like and how they responded to seeing him as a Jedi, because I'm sure they've seen stuff on the holonet with him being a hero of the Clone Wars and just how they felt about everything. To me, that just opens up a whole new avenue of stories to explore. But then just seeing Leia's reaction to asking if Obi-Wan is her father and how she wonders what he's like. And again, just Obi-Wan acting as that father figure to both Leia and Luke now. He tells Luke, obviously, in A New Hope what his father was like. And even though he doesn't necessarily go into much detail here with Leia, it's just a nice moment that they have together talking about um, family and just, um, you know, how that theme of Star Wars and especially because a lot of the conversations we had and all the way up to the rise of Skywalker and even what Luke says in there, how family is more than blood. Obi-Wan talking about the new family he got with um, the Jedi and Leia at this point now, her family is just even the Organas are just as much as real as her family as uh, the one she doesn't know about her being a Skywalker. But yet later on, uh, she comes to realize what um, a new family she gets when she loses Alderaan and she does become a full blown, you know, part of the Skywalker family where she knows it. Um, it's just a great thing because we know all know we all know that the core of the story of Star Wars is about family, regardless if it's through blood or whatnot. And the fact that that was just so well done here, just a small moment in this episode was just done so beautifully. And again, great performances by both Ewan um, and Vivian here as Leia and Obi-Wan, just adding really that emotional core to their relationship that's being explored in this series, which is so well done. And so I loved it to death. It was just such a great moment for what we learned about Obi-Wan and just about just exploring that avenue of both of their families, which is so beautifully done. Yeah. One thing I'll say too, (laughs) just on the totally opposite side of things, I just like how we had a moment with stormtroopers um, with some of our hero characters and they didn't end up dead by the end of it, where they actually got to walk off the tram and go to their station. <laughs> and we know later on, some stormtroopers, they beat the typical stormtrooper fate as being killed. But it was nice to kind of just have this moment with stormtroopers talking with someone and they're just able to walk away. That's it. Not every day of a stormtrooper ends in death when they meet one of our hero characters. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a nice change of pace. But overall, just a great sequence, mainly for that emotional family stuff we got between Obi-Wan and Leia. Yeah, and of course, it's always interesting seeing a character like Freck who... You know, I mean, we're so used to seeing citizens like suffering under the empire and, um, you know, but it's it's always interesting seeing like those people that are fine with it and that support the empire and that either like really believe it in and are super gung ho or at the very least are like, oh, you know, they're not doing anything to hurt me. Like, you know, I'm I'll just go along with it and, you know, do my duty as a citizen. Um, but then, of course, also, like like you said, the, the moment where um where Obi-Wan talks about having a, a baby brother like that that hit me because it just I mean to me that added a, just another layer to him and uh him and Anakin's relationship and just you know the line where it says you were my brother Anakin I loved you it's like not only were they you know close like brothers but like he like Anakin literally was the brother that Obi-Wan never had mm, that's a um, great point yeah and just oh man like like that's I a gut just, punch yeah, 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 it was. It was just man. They're they're continuing to just add more layers of depth between these two characters, and and I don't think 
you know, that was a subtle little thing. Like, I don't, I don't think it's going to necessarily become important later. Like when he squares off against Anakin again, he's not going to be like, you know, you were the brother I never had because I had a baby brother. You know, like, I don't <laughs> expect that to be like an important plot point later on. But just one small little thing that to me just, you know, spoke volumes about their relationship. Um, it was just, it was great. Just, it, yeah, one more element of that entire scene that I thought worked really well. Um, and then of course, yeah, like you said, they, they go on from there. Freck does turn them over to some stormtroopers, and, uh, they have a little shootout. Uh, one of them gets shot off the top of a guard post and lands on a laser gate and gets cut in half diagonally. That was pretty gnarly. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, and of course we're seeing Obi-Wan, you know, gun down lots of people with a blaster in this show and knowing how, how he feels about blasters. It's funny to see <laughs> him be so, it. <laughs> it's funny to see him be so proficient with one. Um, but then, of course, you know, they get cornered by some more troopers that, you know, cut them off in a transport. And then you see this Imperial officer come down and uh, shoot all her own troops. And it turns out it's, you know, this woman named Tala, who's like, um, it, it was interesting that she actually was an Imperial officer. And she said that, uh, you know, she joined up thinking that she believed in what the Empire stood for. And by the time she realized what they actually were, it was too late. And she had, you know, made mistakes. But now she's decided to try and help people and i love that she's part of what's basically like an underground railroad for jedi yeah where they've got uh you know they've got like safe houses set up they've got people that you know help transport them from one system to another some who are former Je like some who are jedi like we find out that quinlan Voss is still alive and uh, man once she mentioned that and mentioned that like she, he's also involved in this network which you know it seems like obi-wan is still going to be working with these people um over the next couple episodes because she rescues him at the end and then they got to go find Leia. I'm like, man, now that you dropped that, like, I really hope we get to see Quinlan Voss show up in, you know, at some point during this show. And maybe even if he shows up like in the next episode and kind of helps Obi-Wan, you know, shake the dust off and maybe they even spar with their lightsabers and that gets Obi-Wan back in shape to take on Vader again. I would love to see that. Um, I don't know if that's too much to hope for, but like at least you know, maybe get a, a cameo from him at some point. But, um, you know, it's like now that he is, uh, you know, sort of back on the Jedi path, but also seeing that he kind of needs some help, it would be cool to see somebody like that show up again. So um, I thought that was a, a cool little, you know, tease and reveal there. But just seeing all of these guys, you know, knowing that there's a whole network of people out there that are willing to help Jedi um, was just really cool. And she was a really cool and uh, an interesting new character. So I can't wait to see more of the two of them together. Yeah, it was just, uh, some cool reveals that we got in that moment here. Um, just learning, like you said, that safe house that uses to smuggle away Jedi and how there's more people in the galaxy that are trying to help do the right thing and just leaving those markings there on the wall just as kind of that symbol of hope that uh, they kind of need at, at that moment right there, especially throughout the entire galaxy. We know that's obviously a big theme throughout the period of the dark times leading up to A New Hope. So, and again, adding that, little Easter egg of Quinlan Voss. I think it's going to be more than just an Easter egg. I think it would be really cool if he is kind of the one who helps, at least maybe for an episode, get Obi-Wan back on his feet a little bit, especially in the ways um, with the Force and with the ways of the Jedi that not that maybe Tala not, might not necessarily be able to help with. Um, she would be able to help with the physical healing, but not kind of the healing that he might need within the Force. And to have him name drop there and have know that he helps still now and again to do that, it still sounded like to me they're going to go to Jabim at uh, about the end of the episode, but that can be up for debate <laughs> whether or not that's still going to be the case by 
the events of what happened at the end of the episode, but still some cool stuff to learn. And again, we know that Quinlan and Obi-Wan have a relationship. Um, even like in the EU stuff, there were some great comic stories we got with them, but we know in that Clone Wars episode, Hunt for Zero, where they worked pretty closely together and knew they, they had a relationship uh, prior to that as far as working together on several missions. So it's just great that to see that kind of continue on, or at least the potential to continue on, but we see Obi-Wan acknowledge how happy he is to see that Quinlan survived, knowing the friendship that they had uh, as Jedi. So it was just such a really cool moment for us fans who ate up all that uh, Clone Wars stories um, in the comics, in the EU, and during the Clone Wars series, too. So it's just really cool to get that name drop. Yeah, I I don't think that was done lightfully, or, or lightfully, uh, you know, just lightly. Mm-hmm. And I think that they are definitely hinting at something. I think Quinlan Voss himself could be a, a rich uh, uh, tapest, uh You could tap that character for lots of interesting stories for Disney Plus series to be in the prequel era without having to be in the Clone Wars or in, anything like that and, and just have a Jedi kind of adventures around. Those original EU comics, I'm reading them, rereading them right now. They're awesome. That was great. Tal- Tala, is it? Tala? Is it, I always I want to call her Talia, but it's not. It's Tala, right? <laughs> it's just Tala, yeah. It's Tala, yeah. She is instant chemistry. Just oozes out of her, man. She, I mean, she's great in Game of Thrones too, but holy crap! Like she just, I thought she was fantastic immediately. Talk about an, an actor just, just oozing out like what you need to do in like a short amount of time. Just gets it out of the way and just you want to see instantly. You know, she just killed it man i love that yeah. character immediately and hope we do see her more in the series and maybe afterwards too hopefully we'll see but um they set up a lot with her already in this in the series um that was great and yeah i i thought this was a, a great kind of easter egg and kind of you know what could be happening later on so yeah i i tala is is a great character and what she does in this episode that was awesome so yeah pre you know leading up to what the big the big stuff yeah, and also, I mean, you mentioned, Tim, too, just the name drop of the planet Jabim, which also played a big role in those old uh, Clone Wars comic series. Um, it was the setting of what might still be my favorite Star Wars comic of all time, um, or just that that arc of that Battle of Jabim. Yeah. Um, it was one that, you know, still stuck with me for a long yep. time. Um, and yeah, I see, I don't think that they're actually going to go there. I think maybe it's, it's going to turn out that that was more just kind of a, a name drop because that was supposed to be like the next stop on their journey to like get to safety. Um, but then at the end of the episode, Leia goes missing. So unless they're going to like, I mean, they're, they're not going to get to Jabim and then go, Oh shoot, where'd Leia go? Um, Cause I'm thinking just, like they still have to, they feel like they have to leave the planet cause the inquisitors are still there. Vader's still there. They have to get off there to get Obi-Wan healed too. So yeah, Jabim was their course that they're planning to go to. You might as well still go there to get Obi-Wan all patched up. So I, mean, I have I, the feeling that they're still going to go there. I guess that's a good point. And I mean, I would love to see it, obviously. Um, so, yeah, if they do go there to kind of, um, you know, recoup before they, you know, like go there to, you know, just kind of rest, heal up and, and figure out their next plan from there and try to figure out where uh, where Reva has taken Leia and, and just kind of plot their next course of action. That could work. Um, I just, you know, and that might be their only option, but I also am. You know, I have a hard time seeing Obi-Wan being like, oh, yeah, sure, let's go to Jabim. And he's going to be like, no, let's go to wherever Reva's taking Leia. Well, he um, know, like to be so out also, of it where they have to take him, <laughs> like regardless yeah. of what he says. 
or what he thinks. Or he might even know that Leia's gone. So they might have to tell him while they're traveling to Jabim. So I think there's different scenarios to play out that they could still eventually get there. Yeah. And I mean, I would I would absolutely love to see that. And I think we were talking about this before we were recording. I was like, if we see Quinlan Voss on Jabim, like my EU Clone Wars loving heart, like won't even be able to take that. Um, <laughs> it'll be amazing. <laughs> yeah, it'll be in for some some really cool surprises over the to top of the off. There's an old clone trooper there named Alpha, too. I mean, how cool would that oh be? Oh, <laughs> my gosh, dude. Don't even don't even. <laughs> um. Well, I think, you know, we've been we've been going for a while. And, Paul, I know you got to jump off soon. So, uh, you know, yeah, before w- without further ado, I mean, we should get to just the big finale of the episode with Vader showing up. Um, and again, who who would have thought that we'd have Obi-Wan and Vader uh, going at it with lightsabers in episode three of this, you know, of this series? Uh, right. Not me. That was not on my bingo card. Um, but man, what a just again perfect execution of Darth Vader and just seeing the terrifying presence that he is showing up in the town, using the force to just drag people out of windows, force choke them, snap their necks, drag them along the ground, all to just, you know, sort of taunt Obi-Wan. Again, it's kind of like Reva, you know, throwing the dagger at the guy in the first episode, you know, he's just like torturing people to get Obi-Wan to come out and protect them. Um, Like he knows he's hiding there somewhere. He knows he can see him. Um, And so Obi-Wan goes ahead and like, you know, kind of draws Vader outside of town without really showing himself. But it was an interesting sort of like, I it, it seemed like almost sort of a force, like mind game, cat and mouse kind of thing where Obi-Wan is just like, you know, kind of taunting him, like, come get me. And, uh, you know, Vader stops torturing people and, and goes and follows Obi-Wan outside of town. And so they're in this like mining quarry with all these hills of rocks and stuff. And Vader's just kind of chasing him in between. Um, and it was interesting because Tim, you mentioned like him igniting the lightsaber for the first time. I think we all thought that was going to be kind of like a, a momentous heroic moment where Obi-Wan yeah. finally takes it up and ignites his lightsaber again. But instead he does it out of fear. Yep. You know, exact it's like opposite. <laughs> yeah. It's like he first comes face to face with Vader and Vader ignites his lightsaber and Obi-Wan just turns and runs. Um, and then you see him, you know, not even being pursued by Vader, just kind of like, running by himself between these hills and you hear Vader's voice and you can't run Obi-Wan and he just ignites, you know, just quickly ignites the lightsaber and it's like, all right, there it is. Um, but again, just seeing that reaction to defend himself against just the the terror that Vader is bringing was just, again, not what I expected, but really well done. I, you know, before I head out here, um, I just want to say that the Vader thing we all knew was coming eventually it was it was hinted at and i again i'm going to i'm going to very very uh like like poetry my friends i'm going to i'm going to talk about what I, what i brought up before and i'm going to bring up to you know almost end with in a little bit is that i talked about how like serious the serious was the series was and how they definitely did things that i wasn't expecting and one of those things was how just kind of dark and how like just kind of messed up things were and the Vader Obi Wan fight was so perfect. I felt um, in so many different ways that I, I was blown away of how just everything. Even though like the setting necessarily wasn't what I think. Again, TV budget things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't whatever, right? You, you you can't control that stuff. And the show, it is what it is. It's a TV show. It's not a film. If it was a film, it'd be a little more epic, probably a surrounding. 
But that that being said, I feel everything else was you couldn't. I don't think you could write it any better. I felt they'd done a great job of bringing these two people together, and I think Vader responding how he exactly how I thought he'd respond, how he drags people out to get a response, how he's he's trying everything he can to get Obi Wan to get out there, and when he does, he's toying with him, you know, the whole time, but not in a way where it's like like Luke, and that's what's really fascinating, right? Is in Luke. In Empire Strikes Back, he's toying with them, but he's also trying to preserve them, right? He's just beating mm. them with, like, stuff. Uh, in this, he's like, oh, I'm going to hit you a couple times with lightsabers, then I'm going to put you on fire, and then light you on fire, and then watch you <laughs> suffer, and just keep it going. It's like, damn. Like, yeah. that's that's exactly what Vader, like, what I thought Vader would do. Yep. And I just, it was, it was crazy. I thought, you know, obviously, I'm assuming Hayden was in the costume, um, I'm assuming for most of that stuff with with Hayden and or, or with Obi Wan, and I love how they, they, they again you you can attest to this a little bit better than I can here, uh, Kyle. But a lot of the trickery, you know, forced perspectives of of of, of having that of having Vader look towering over Obi Wan still that was perfect. Um, it just it was very impactful and emotional, and they did a great job. And Deborah Chow, you know, I I don't think she's been amazing in this series i thought she's been very good though um and i think this is an episode is very evident or shows how good of a director she is because of the very ending of this of this and how i love the 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 uh the the shot selection she chose like the the very wide shot of them fighting that was great i Mm -hmm. love that shot there's lots of great things like that i thought throughout this whole series or this whole episode that she did a great job of and I just I love this stuff, man. I th- I thought it was beautiful. Um, it really invokes lots of it, a lot of the imagery, the shot again, a lot of the things she chose. I thought it was perfect. I thought the lighting was amazing between the two of them. It just does a great job of bringing you those emotions and what you always wanted to see. I think from after the, the original trilogy, if you if you grew up only on the original trilogy first, and even though I love the prequel trilogy now, and I've always loved Revenge of the Sith. I always think that like that was the right. I think George was right, but this is all we always wanted to see. This this is the sequel, the prequel trilogy that a lot of us wanted to see, and I think what the actors wanted to see. I said before, so um, I thought it was great seeing Vader drag Obi Wan in the fire. Was just that was, that was rough, man. But also like it was what we expected. You know him to, to act like so. Anyway, I, I thought it was amazing. This episode, I've watched this episode a zillion times. It's incredible. It's some right. of the best Star Wars ever seen on screen. And I'll end it on this. And um, you know, one thing, the last thing I want to say, and I go, I, wa- I really wanted to get your uh, your take on this really quick here, Kyle. And then I'll head out in before I have my little send off. Um, is that Deborah Chow has done a lot of lens flares in this in this series. And I like it. There's a, there's a, there's a really interesting aesthetic she's done with that. And I'm I'm not sure if you've noticed that, but I've rewatched this so many this, these episodes so many times. But I've noticed that she does a lot of these lens flares. I'm like, man. So there's, there's a really interesting aesthetic to the series that she's created that I've I've actually liked. Have you noticed that too? Yeah. And again, like we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier. Like there's some that I've liked, some that I've not liked as much um from you know the lens flares to some of the the shaky cam um some of the shaky shot cam selection. has not been great agree yeah there's and i mean like it's fine to use shaky cam it's just some of it has been like really intense 
Like the like the uh, the scene where um, in the first episode where the Jedi is coming to Obi Wan at night in the desert and it's kind of like his horrible. point of view Agreed. and the camera's 1, like taking it. like it looked like it was an earthquake. It was like I get that you want to go for some shaky handheld, but like calm down. Like I can't see what's going on. That was that that was one that that was probably the most jarring of it. And I, I think we even, I even texted you about that. I'm like that yeah. was bad like that was again that's why i've said like the execution of the series hasn't been perfect and they've definitely tried they've, they've went for different aesthetics and i ever can respect that and i'm glad they have but i think she's done a good job overall but yes like there have been some things where i'm like Ugh. i mean obviously like the, the leia chase was i think i don't know what they were thinking they, they should oh yeah we didn't even we know? didn't even talk about that but yeah in that first episode where leia is like outrunning the bounty hunters and see my main problem with that it's like i have no problem like suspending my disbelief especially in movies when like kids are getting chased by monsters or something right. where you like you're like well you know the alternative is for them to just like get eaten and then the story ends right there so like of course they're gonna get away but with this being the first episode and these being bounty hunters that were clearly out to like capture her it's like we know she's gonna get caught. Like it's a foregone conclusion. By this point, you can figure out like, oh, this is what the thrust of the story is gonna be. She's gonna get caught. Right. Everyone's gonna have to go rescue her. So why are we spending five minutes watching her run circles around these guys when we exactly. know the inevitable conclusion? Like mm -hmm. that was kind of mm -hmm. goofy. Yeah, um, and so yeah, so with all that being said, I think Deborah Chow's done a great job, and I think that I, I honestly. I'm very curious how she she sticks to landing. She's done. I think they've done a great job so far. The whole team has. Granted, my nitpicks there are some legitimate nitpicks, but that being said, I the one thing I'll end on here, guys, is and you know, and again, I appreciate you letting me have a little send off here because it's I, I'm just time is time is of the essence, and it's three hours is is whew, it's a lot. Um, the thing is, I I'm gonna say right now after three episodes, I'm amazed how rewatchable the series is despite the flaws. And that to me is what makes, I think Star Wars and anything besides Star Wars, but like anything worth watching is even despite its flaws that you know that do kind of bug you. If you want to keep rewatching it, and I've rewatched these three episodes a lot this weekend. I've watched like two, three times at least, it seems like. Um, it shows you how good it, it's been. And I think Deborah Chow has done a good job granted not perfect but pretty good considering and I, and they've it for such a legacy character like obi-wan and you're doing that that's pretty that's pretty impressive so that's why i wanted to end on that i think this has been an amazing show the rewatchability of the show has been off the charts so that is a it's been really really pleasant to to to, to see that uh kind of before my eyes of, of something that i love like something as important as obi-wan kenobi 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 is one of my favorite characters and how rewatchable it is. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, for me, just, I haven't rewatched them a ton, but like, I, I just rewatched them all together today before we recorded. And I think it was, like I said, it was the third time that I had watched each episode. Um, and I find myself kind of enjoying it more each time. Um, exactly. Especially, especially yeah. those first two. I don't know. The episode three, I think my favorite time was probably just the first time because of all the surprises with Vader showing up and everything. Um, but like that one is still like, I would say that one on its own is easily the most rewatchable because I want to rewatch it just for the Vader content. Um, and even with the first two, like, again, not that they were were bad or like not rewatchable or anything. Like I, I thoroughly enjoyed them. But after a couple times, I was like, oh, I think I'm good. Like, I don't have a burning desire to keep rewatching these a bunch of times. But then after episode three, it's like, OK, now I want to rewatch all of them, like up to the point where Vader shows up. Um, 
And I'm sure it's just going to keep getting better from there. And I can't wait to be able to go back and rewatch, uh, you know, the whole thing once the whole series is done. Yeah. So anyway, all right, guys, I got I got to bail out. Um, you know, yeah, I'm excited for the next episode we have because it's going to be all celebration stuff. There's a lot to get to, so I can't yeah. wait to talk about that. We'll have to that. carve out another at least three hour three hours for that one too. So probably, probably, right? <laughs> probably. So. Um, yeah. All right, guys. Well, I guess I'll I'll head out here. But uh, as always, God speed, rebels. Goodbye. <laughs> All right, bye, Paul. Made up for lost time on that one. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, okay, yeah. So I just wanted to go back real quick to um, you know, just like yeah, that. Well, we kind of talked about the beginning of the the Vader and Obi Wan confrontation with him showing up and. Uh, you know, just terrorizing the town people and stuff like that. Um, but then, yeah, him and Obi-Wan fighting out in that quarry. Like I said, there has to be another another fight after this. And it, again, it's, oh, so, no question. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird to me seeing how much like certain people are griping about this. And I mean, for like, at least the people that I'm friends with and that I follow online and stuff, it seems like the majority of people absolutely loved it. I've seen a few people with like a few nitpicks here and there, but then I've seen some takes where people are like, this was absolutely awful. They managed to make a confrontation between Obi-Wan and Vader boring. Like it was so poorly executed, blah, blah, blah. Or like people will take their little nitpicks like, oh, they needed to, you know, they didn't use the classic music or like Vader wasn't terrifying enough. Vader didn't, you know, Vader let Obi-Wan get away. He should have just jumped over the fire and gone after him at the end of the episode. Like, you know, why didn't he just finish him off? Like, well, because we got three episodes left and Obi-Wan <laughs> has to survive until the original trilogy. Like, calm down. Jeez. Wow. Um, you know, like, it's... I'm sorry. It's like they're missing the point of what this whole sequence is supposed to be. It's yeah. not supposed to be the big epic lightsaber duel that we know we're still getting exactly <laughs> exactly and if this was the final episode or if this ends up being if for some reason this ends up being the only time that they come face to face during the series then yeah i'll be disappointed yeah but knowing that we've got three episodes left and again this is still obi-wan kenobi who's igniting his lightsaber for the first time in 10 years of course he's not going to hold his own against vader because that's another complaint that i've seen is people being like oh obi-wan's too weak this isn't obi-wan acting like the obi-wan that we know it's like again that's, that's the, the, point. the point is that he's <laughs> at this again just like i know paul's gone so now i can say it's just like luke in the last jedi <laughs> where like he's at a low point he's not the guy we remember and he has to go on a journey to get back to that point and then he's going to take on Vader again, and it's going to be an epic showdown. And then we'll all be happy that we got to see this epic lightsaber duel. But for now, to see Darth Vader at the height of his power, terrorizing Obi-Wan Kenobi, who's at his lowest point and is, you know, rusty and hasn't used the Force in 10 years, I thought this is exactly, you know, for for those circumstances, this confrontation was, was exactly what it needed to be. 100%. And... It's kind of, I was just thinking about it too right now, where it's like, we know they're kind of like Vader and Obi-Wan are even right now in terms of lightsaber matches or battles that they had. Obi-Wan got Vader on Mustafar, now Vader really got Obi-Wan here. And we know they're going to have another fight. We'll see how that, uh, how we obviously know Obi-Wan's going to survive and Vader's going to survive leading up to the events of New Hope. But um, it's just that this whole sequence, I didn't expect it to happen this early on, but I'm so glad it did and it makes perfect sense for the course of the story because we had to see 
Obi-Wan's reaction of seeing Anakin as Vader in the armor for the first time. And Mm -hmm. just what a shock to the system that's going to be for him, even amongst the shock of learning that he's alive. Because obviously, one thing we didn't see or talk about too much in the beginning of this episode, he knows Anakin's alive. And so the only um, image he has of Anakin is how he was previously to the events of Mustafar, where he sees... He has a little vision right there where he sees Anakin out in the distance when him and Leia arrive oh, on that planet. Yeah. And he turns to him. Of course, that's how he's picturing Anakin right now because I don't think he'd picture him all burned to a crisp, <laughs> kind of knowing if he survived. So he was going to remember him how he was the last he saw him um, just as as Anakin Skywalker. And the fact that he sees him now as this big, hulking, black figure who's more machine now than man that just had to be another shock to him because that's the only thing he says to Anakin. What have you become? And then, or I should say Vader. And then Vader just has the great line. I am what you made me. And I love how the dialogue is so minimal here because I just take it. It's such a big moment for both of these characters. Vader finally getting the chance to get his revenge on Obi-Wan that he's waited 10 years for Obi-Wan learning that Anakin is alive and he sees him for the first time, but yet he's this big machine just what's going through his mind and it's fear as you talked about earlier kyle the reason he ignites his lightsaber is out of fear not because he's ready to face anakin skywalker again to take him down or to rescue leia um it's because he doesn't know what to do he's just kind of trying anything at the point at that point at least that's what it seems like he sees he tries to run away that's not working he hears the voice of vader and that just spooks him and he ignites that lightsaber which visually looked great by the way that blue hint amongst the dark background oh it looked great (laughs) but just seeing that this moment this whole fight sequence is just there to kind of get the reaction out of the way for both characters um and just because it kind of would have been a little hard to believe if they see each other for the first time and then we have this big epic lightsaber duel that we're expecting because of the reaction obi-wan had that we saw here it wouldn't make sense that he would be automatically ready to fight just like as he did in the prequels um he has to be taken down a peg here and he definitely does um not just being beat by vader but man going through the torture that vader is putting him through and as paul said this is exactly what you would expect vader to do with obi-wan he's had 10 years trying to plot out his revenge making him suffer just as he suffered pulling into the fire man that was such a brutal moment for obi-wan that I didn't think the character would would be going through, and it's just going to add so much more to see him come out of it later on that we know we're eventually going to see over the course of the series. So, yeah, this moment was just really to see, to get the reactions of both Obi-Wan and Vader kind of out of the way. And I don't mean out of the way where it's not important, but we had to see that moment and yet not have it take away from the big lightsaber moment that we're going to get later on they're both going to be two separate things big moments in their own right but we had to get yeah. that emotional reaction reaction one for both characters out of the way which doesn't make sense to have that be part of this big epic lightsaber fight but man seeing obi-wan get taken down force choked and then burned it's just going to be that's what i'm really looking forward to in this next episode we're going to see obi-wan in a mental state and physical state that we've never seen him before we got to see him come through the physical pain, but more importantly, the emotional pain that he's going through um, in this next episode of seeing Anakin alive and being put being put and tortured the way he was in this episode and seeing him come out of that. So I'm kind of thinking that the next episode is going to be a little bit of a palate cleanser one 
Well, I think for Obi-Wan to get back on track, he's um, we might actually see get, I don't know if they'll go this way, but I won't be mad if they do, if they take a little uh, bit from the Book of Boba Fett, take a page from the Book of Boba Fett, I should say. <laughs> Just maybe we see Obi-Wan in the back to tank and maybe mm. we'll get a flashback sequence. Um, but if not that, just a force vision type episode where maybe he's taking back uh, to the pre- the past and we get that moment of Ewan and Hayden together, Obi-Wan and Anakin during the events of the Clone Wars. I mean, even if it's not during the Clone Wars, but just uh, back to when they were master and apprentice, um, just something to see what the relationship was like again and Obi-Wan having to come to terms with that and where Anakin is at now, now that he sees him as Vader. And I think we're that's where we're going to get the moment of him connecting with Qui-Gon at this time. This All this like stuff is going to help him heal both physically and, but more importantly, emotionally, and with his connection to the Force. And I think that's going to be something fascinating and just so special to see if it kind of plays out that way where we see this healing of Obi-Wan come back to the Jedi we know him to be in the prequels and to have him be that way to face down Anakin again and to rescue Leia. So... As great and powerful as this moment was in the episode, it's just, I think, more powerful stuff is going to be on the way as we deal with the aftermath of Obi-Wan kind of recovering from this monumental and traumatic event that he just went through right here. It's just going to be so fascinating to see, and I cannot wait. But yeah, this was just done so beautifully at this stage of the series um, that we got a moment like this in Star Wars. I mean, again, it's just one of those things where can't believe I'm watching this on screen. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're just—it's like we're—we know episode three leads to episode four, but this really feels like we're getting a sequel to Revenge of the Sith here in a way we never expected. With obviously Ewan Hayden being back as Vader and Obi Wan and seeing him go at it like this—it's just amazing. And just there are just some beautiful imagery in this entire sequence. I mentioned Obi Wan and the lightsaber, but there's just something I think powerful and striking about seeing vader amongst the fire and flames yeah because especially seeing of, those flames reflecting in his helmet yes that was just such and a the, powerful the eye image. lenses yeah because i kind of associate when you think of vader and flames obviously mustafar but you think of also too luke burning his armor in a new hope and just what mm-hmm. a powerful image or not a new hope return of the jedi yeah but just what a powerful image that was of seeing the vader suit amongst the flame like closing the book on darth vader but yet we see Vader amongst the flames here exacting his revenge against Obi-Wan. It's just, just a powerful visual moment as I felt seeing Vader amongst the flames. And as you said, that shot with it being reflected off the lenses of his helmet. It was just, everything about it was just so executed beautifully. So, yeah, it was just a moment I wasn't expecting to see this early on in the series. But, man, am I so glad we get it. It's just another powerful moment between these two characters that uh, we've seen a lot of over the course of not just the prequels, but in the Clone Wars. And now just that brotherhood of obi-wan and anakin that was so power or that hurt so much to see crumble in the midst of episode three we're just getting more of that in this episode where it's just so tragic to see uh, where their friendship went to at this point in their lives and just how vader is just out for right now living for nothing but to see his old friend suffer the Mm -hmm. sussy suffered just man (laughs) really powerful stuff yeah, it was crazy. And I mean, just like with the Grand Inquisitor, where I was shocked because I was like, wait, you can't kill him off. And to see Reva stab him was just kind of like, wait, what's going on right now? I almost felt that same way watching Vader just like drag Obi-Wan on the ground through the flames. 
because it was like, like, I know he's going to make it out of this, but also I'm going, how is he going to make it out of this? Like, I was like, wait, you can't do this to Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan's supposed to be okay by the end of this, you know? Um, but yeah, just, I mean, realizing what Vader was doing in that moment where he he's got him just lifted up in the air. And that alone was crazy because like, yeah. I mean, I know we see like Dooku kind of do that to Obi-Wan in their fight in episode three, where he just kind of, you know, lifts him up and throws him. But I always figured like in that moment, he kind of just caught him off guard and maybe, you know, grabbed him as Obi-Wan was like about to do a move or something. Um, but for the most part, you don't really see people just like lift other people up with the force in the middle of lightsaber duels. Cause I mean, that would kind of just be a, a cop out easy way to end it. But I, I kind of just figured like, people who can also use the force are kind of like resistant to that, or you can, you can kind of combat that, which is why you don't see people just do that all the time. Um, and so for Vader to be able to just grab him and lift him and hold him in the air, I was like, it shows how much more powerful Vader is, at least in this moment where again, Obi-Wan is so rusty and like, you know, the using the force is almost like foreign to him because he hasn't done it in so long. Um, so for Vader to be able to like break through his defenses and just reach and grab him and hold him up there and then light that stuff on fire and throw him back down and just hold him in it. And you can tell he's just watching and it's, you know, he's replaying that moment in episode three and he's like, you know, it's almost like Vader being like, now I have the high ground. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but just, you know, standing over him, watching him burn and go through that same torture and suffering that he went through was just, yeah, like said, it was, it was dark. It was powerful. It was scary. Um, and I was like genuinely concerned for Obi-Wan. I was like, man, I like, we know he's going to be fine, but how is he going to get out of this? Um, and then of course Vader just decides to stop and he, you know, he just puts the flames out and force pushes him back. And I can see people maybe having a little bit of a gripe with that where like Vader puts out the flames and then when Tala shows up, she shoots the machine, ignites the flames again. And Vader just, you know, kind of stands there and watches when we just saw him put out the flames a minute ago. But I did notice like, because she causes like a big explosion. I, the flames were bigger that yeah. time um, than they were when, you know, when Vader was dragging him through. Um, and I kind of took it where maybe he's come to the realization there where let, let, let's have Obi-Wan sit with this for a bit. I, yeah. I found him this time. It shouldn't be too hard maybe to find him again. And maybe once he learns that, um, or he just feels that, you know, let Obi-Wan sit with, not just the physical pain, but the emotional pain of what he just went through for a little bit would even be mm -hmm. more torture for him uh, in a way than instead of just taking him right here. I'll get him eventually yeah. but for right now. Let's let me have him sit with this for a bit. Yeah, I kind of felt that same way watching, you know, that it's it's so funny that the ways that you can almost tell what Vader is thinking, even yeah. though it's this exp <laughs> expressionless black mask. Um you know, have him just sit there and watch Obi-Wan escape on the other side of those flames. And again, seeing the flames just glowing and, the, and reflecting in the helmet. It wasn't a look of like, oh, shoot, he got away. It was like, or, yeah, you run, Obi-Wan, and you remember what I did to you this mm. time. And, you know, we'll meet again. Like, that's the vibe I got from it. Same, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, man, just such a a great confrontation um such a great use of vader i mean it's so great you know knowing that it's hayden christensen in the suit too knowing yep. that, like this is anakin just at a different point in his life and you know the two of them coming back together so um yeah it's, it was it's crazy i i really like tala's character too and her you know coming in to rescue obi-wan her oh, i forget the name of the droid um 
It's like the like, loader droid, right? Yeah, the one that doesn't talk, but still mm. was like ready to crack down on some stormtroopers. You know, it was like hiding a hammer behind his yeah. back and stuff. And now he's, he's you know, carrying Obi-Wan away to safety while Tala was, you know, shooting stormtroopers that were trying to go after him. Um, so I'm sure we'll see all of them together again in the next episode. Um, but yeah, just, I mean, what a what an introduction to Vader for this show. Um, like you said, happened sooner than we thought we got a lot more evader than we thought we would a lot sooner than we thought so i can't wait to see you know what they do next and uh what's going to happen when they inevitably come back together again yep this table has been set for some <laughs> really great stuff to come in these next three episodes not to sure it's yeah. such a great way to kind of be at the halfway point of the series and kind of sucks that we already are three episodes into it and the fact that there's only three left but at the same time you can't wait to see him and i just think the best is still yet to come in this series as yeah, much as absolutely. I loved everything that we've gotten in this three episodes. Yeah, for sure. And then of course it ends with, you know, uh, Leia is like going through those tunnels. She's supposed to meet up with, with the pilot that's going to take them to Jabim and Reva's there instead. And you see that she's killed the pilot and, uh, Reva's like, Oh yeah, sorry. Like they weren't able to make it, but you know, you're going to come with me instead, which makes me wonder, like, I mean, obviously she seems kind of shady, but I'm like, does Leia realize that these are the people that were, we're hunting her um, or, you know, like know the the full danger that Reva possesses because she doesn't seem to realize that, you know, that that's an immediate threat. She's kind of like, wait, who are you? And she seems kind of suspicious, but she's also not like, oh, shoot, an Inquisitor, I got to turn and run. Um, mm -hmm. So we obviously know like she's going to be with Reva now, but is it going to be like, is, is Reva going to forcibly kidnap her or is Leia just going to kind of not know what's going on? Think she's maybe with the good guys or, you know, it'll be interesting to see how, how that plays out. Um, but yeah, obviously Obi-Wan's got to go after her. I wonder if that's what's going to, you know, take them back to the Inquisitor Fortress or, um, Eventually yeah, Mustafar, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I yeah, I think he's eventually going to end up confronting Vader on Mustafar uh, just based off the concept art that we saw for the show. But um, yeah, I don't know. It'll be, be interesting to see where they go next. Um, but yeah, ends with, you know, with Leia kidnapped, with Obi-Wan burned and kind of licking his wounds in retreat. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I think you make a good point that like we're halfway through. We've seen him kind of reach his lowest low moment. Um, and now hopefully it'll just kind of be a steady buildup from there and, and him getting ready to go at it again and hopefully be successful this time. Yeah, and it just thematically, it just makes kind of all sense for that to how it's going to play out. I'm sure there's going to be some yeah. surprises on the way, but um, that's the direction it looks like the story is going to be heading. And I'm all for it <laughs> to see it play out. Yeah, for sure. Especially if we get Quinlan Voss on Jabim helping Obi-Wan recover and, you know, training him to be a Jedi again, like bring it on. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it a lot so far. Um, you know, and like we said, you know, little, some things here and there that could be improved upon or some things that, you know, I maybe don't love as much certain aspects of the show that I don't love as much as others, but I think they're nailing the important stuff. Like again, mm. first and foremost, Obi-Wan's characterization and his character arc and seeing sort of the, the low places that he's in and the, the guilt and things that he's grappling with. And then to see him kind of slowly come out of that and to not only, you know, sort of rediscover his connection to the force and, and his purpose as a Jedi, but even seeing like his relationship with Leia and seeing him care for somebody again and, 
you know, where he's kind of cold and standoffish at first and then kind of starts opening up to her. Um, I think his character art so far has been really well executed. I think uh, Vivian Lyra Blair's performance as Leia is fantastic. I think the execution of Vader is fantastic and everything in this episode between him and Obi-Wan was great. Um, so, you know, it's like, yeah, there's little things along the way that might not all be perfect, but it's like those core elements that you really have to nail in a show with Obi-Wan and Vader in it. Like they're, you know, doing what they need to do with those so far. So I, I hope they keep hitting those nails on the head and I can't wait to see where they take us for these last three episodes. Yeah. I mean, I've been describing the series of people who ask me what I think of it. I say it's everything I was hoping for and not at all what I was expecting for Obi-Wan Kenobi because it's delivering on all those big moments that we knew we were going to get Obi-Wan Vader and Obi-Wan's reaction to when he finds out Vader or, or Anakin is still alive is his life on Tatooine, his interaction with Owen, all that stuff we knew we were going to get, and it delivered beautifully. But then the stuff I was not expecting, having Leia be a big part of the story, seeing her interact with Obi-Wan, getting those great um, emotional moments between the two of them, that's the stuff I wasn't expecting at all in the series, and it's what's elevating the series to me, loving it even more than I thought I was going to um, leading into it. Because I've said before, and we talked about it when it was first announced. This has the potential to be something really special. And I said how it's going to be the Star Wars event of the year. And for me, it's living up to that. I think it's been nothing short of special of the stuff we're getting with these characters again um, with the story. So I'm absolutely loving it. Yeah, there's some technical stuff maybe you can nitpick on. Um, but honestly, I'm just so engrossed with the story and these characters that sometimes I don't even notice those technical acts aspects of it so you guys bring it up and like oh yeah like the stuff with the shaky cam I, I i'll be honest i was oblivious to it the first time i saw it but then when you guys mentioned i watched it again i go yeah that is pretty jarring actually hmm. but i'm just so engrossed with this story that they're telling here that um i just yeah I, I can acknowledge it later on but that's again it's nitpicks it's not going to take away from what, how great i think they're doing with telling this story with these characters so yeah i absolutely love it is exactly what i was uh, or living up to my expectations I had going into it, which were pretty darn high. And right now it's, I dare say that's even exceeding them because of the stuff we're getting with Obi-Wan and Leia. So um, when it's all said and done, I think I'll feel exactly the same way. But if anything, I wouldn't be surprised if I'm left feeling that it's even better than how I'm feeling right now. Because like I said, I still think the best is yet to come with some of the stuff that's still on the table for these remaining three episodes. Yeah, for sure. Um well, yeah, I mean, here we are with the return of the three and a half hour episode. So I think <laughs> I think we've uh, hit just about everything we need to hit on uh, with these first three episodes of Obi-Wan. Uh, but before we wrap up, I know we got some uh, some comments and things from some of our listeners on Twitter that were also talking about it, too. So uh, what do we got over there? Yeah. So first up on Twitter, we got Derek Beebe saying Kenobi greatly exceeded my expectations. All three episodes have been incredible. This is definitely my favorite Star Wars TV series. And then Rich Brockwell says, it's fantastic so far. Hopefully get some Clone Wars flashbacks in upcoming episodes. Um, I'm hopeful for that, too, as soon as maybe the next one. <laughs> so mm -hmm. My prediction is correct. And then Star Wars Junkie says, there is not enough Twitter space to write everything I love about it. I love the switch. Everybody thought Obi-Wan would protect Luke, but turns out it's about Leia. I love it. Love how Obi has to struggle. Weak little Luke in Epilogue. Or loves how, love how Obi-Wan has to struggle. Um, like Luke in Empire. 
that Owen is amazing. Leia is perfect. Just love it all. And then Paul says, the series is amazing, and it's certainly proving what our Paul <laughs> was right about the future of Star Wars being TV. It's so nice to spend time building the story. And then the Michael Lorian says, incredible so far. So glad we got to spend this much time on the show rather than a two-hour movie. And then also, and on a fun note, my friend and co-host from the Batman podcast, Dane, just posted an image of what he enjoyed about the series so far. Seeing the name Flea in the Star Wars credits <laughs> in the Star Wars font, which I got to say, I got a kick out of, too. Not only seeing uh, Flea play the role of that bounty hunter to kill out Leia, but just seeing his name in the Star Wars font in official Star Wars credits. It was pretty trippy to see, but I, I loved it. It was fun to see that. Yeah. But yeah, good to see that everyone's kind of at least on our listeners and followers on Twitter have the same reactions we do on Obi-Wan and just really loving it and just being excited for what we're seeing as uh, being surprised with certain stuff like with Leia and just excited for what's to come. So that's definitely nice to see from um, everyone we're interacting with about the series so far. Yeah, definitely. Appreciate you guys chiming in and giving us your thoughts and glad to see, you know, at least like you said, at least the people in our circles all seem to be enjoying it as much as we are. So um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun so far. Can't wait to keep talking about it with you guys uh, as we get these last few episodes. Um I don't know, we may, because we'll probably try to come back in another week or so and uh, do our recap of all the news from Celebration. And that's going to be a massive episode as well. Yeah. We might we might have to split that into two parts, but we'll see. It's going to be one of those things where, you know, we'll try to pace it out. We'll be like, all right, we'll, we'll spend three hours and get through all these things. And like after one hour, we'll have only talked about like one of the shows. Um, I know. <laughs> so we'll, we'll have to we'll have to kind of try to keep it tight on that one. So maybe that'll be two episodes. I don't know. Um, and not to mention if there's like a big stuff that happens in the next episode of Obi-Wan that we just cannot talk about. <laughs> yeah, right true. That's going to be hard, too. True. I mean, I was I was going to say we might just have to do our celebration recap and then just wait till the end of Obi-Wan and do another three hour episode on like the last three episodes. But you're right. There's probably going to be at least an episode or two in these last three that might need its own episode to talk about. So. I don't know. It's a good problem to have. There's exactly, too much Star. Yeah. <laughs> there's too much Star Wars to talk about right now. Um, but we will be back certainly sooner than later. Um, and it's it's been fun, you know, getting on here and recording a lot more frequently recently. I mean, I was looking at some of our past episodes, and ever since kind of late last year, we've been doing just about one a month. Uh, but then we had like three in May. Um, this will already be our second one in June because we just put out kind of our bonus episode with my uh, my panels with Jason and Joey from Phoenix Fan Fusion. So um, we'll have a couple out in June already and then at least one or two more, probably three hour episodes after this. So, uh, you know, it's, it's just fun to be, uh, you know, in the full swing of this stuff. Now, I know it feels like for so long we've been waiting, like we had the Book of Boba Fett, but then it was like, all right, Celebration's coming, Obi-Wan's coming. Like we're, we're waiting for really all this big Star Wars stuff that we've got coming this year to kick off. And now we're in the full swing of it. So there's no shortage of stuff to talk about. Um, but on that note, we're going to, you know, wrap it up and call it a night for now. Um, so, uh, you know, again, we appreciate you guys, uh, you know, chiming in with your comments. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, we're on Twitter at Star Wars TSC. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Star Wars The Saga Continues. Send us email at starwarstsc at gmail.com. And you can check out our website at starwarstsc.com. Yeah, starwarstsc.com is our website uh, with all our episodes and news stories and all that stuff. 
Um, and of course, be sure to check out thunderquack.com for all the other awesome podcasts in the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Uh, but that is going to do it for now with our review of the first three episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi. We will see you guys uh, soon with a lot more great Star Wars stuff to talk about. But uh, until then, we will see you next time and may the force be with you. See you next time, everybody.